Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Tons of awesome titles for you to choose from for any platform you want to use. You think you're the smartest man there is. And everyone alive has to bow and scrape and lick your boots. My father. And if you get in any trouble, all you've got to do is say, my father. And that's it. All your troubles are gone. Have you got something to say? You don't want to say the wrong thing. You're nothing without your daddy. Your daddy ain't here. Yeah, this should help you, remember? (laughs) Seven blessings, tavern wenches and torturers. And welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Keeper of the Axe Charlene. And I'm Lady Kristen of House McWuckleburgino, innkeeper and breaker of bread of all weary travelers. Ooh. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 65. On this episode of our series, Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season three, episode three, Walk of Punishment. And for anybody who's not already aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the perspective of someone who's current on the series up until the end of Season 7. So, if you haven't gotten to that point yet, there's still time for you to go get hunted by a deranged bastard so you don't have to be spoiled. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, that made me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. How's your week? It was uh, it was mathy. How about you? Uh, it was traveler e. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in calculus three. Just for anybody who's wondering, so I'm working a lot about on uh, line integrals and vector calculus and vector fields and gradient fields and everything. So yeah, it's fun. Wow, 
Yeah. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it's not all that horrible. It's it's pretty interesting. It's crazy That's, the way numbers work together. Yeah, I'm not that girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, so how'd you like this episode? How'd I like the episode? Yeah, I loved it. Nice. Um, I'm I loved it though because I love what's coming next. Oh. Um, and right. Like. Yeah. I just I I get really Fire really excited when I think about season three and like we're kind of getting into. Um, you know, into the meat of the season. And so this was kind of like a good, like when it was over, it took everything in me not to press play next. <laughs> I just wanted to watch the next one yeah, really quickly. Yeah, you just want to see the Dracarys. I do. I want to uh, watch that. Oh, well, we'll talk about it next week because yep. that's not this week. <laughs> so uh, do you want to start off this week, Sarah Duncan? I shall. Cool, man. My number five is Pod's Delight. <laughs> you know, I don't have this in my top five because I knew somehow we would be talking about it. Definitely, so. definitely. Yeah, I figured. Um, <laughs> so, cuts to a scene in Littlefinger's brothel where Pod is retrieving the royal ledgers from beneath the floor, which I thought was funny. And um, Tyrion is surprised that that's where he keeps the royal ledgers. And Baelish is surprised that he's surprised. And that reminded me of not knowing if you guys know that they know that I know, etc. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I thought it was cool. Baelish says, this is the safest place in the city. And Tyrion says, not for bastards. Not safe for bastards. Yeah, with that horrible incident from season one that we all remember. Still fresh in our minds from the rewatch. So that mm. was a horrible little uh, little nod to that. It also, it, it's Tyrion saying, I know what a fuck you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're hiding these in a brothel. <laughs> yeah. Because it fits in with you perfectly, slimy man. Uh, yes. Totally. <laughs> uh, so I have written my notes at that point. Um, Pod kicks ass because he's like wheeling the all the ledgers away and he's just super cool about it all. I'll be right there in, in a moment, my lord. Yes, my lord. You know, like so proper about everything. He's just like the perfect servant. So it's it was a great way to lead into his reward because he's doing he's doing such a good job and you you like him at this point. You know? <laughs> well, what's cool is that he doesn't do it. It doesn't seem like he does it for anything other than he actually just likes to serve others. Yeah, and Tyrion like too. Just, I, think, I think he likes Tyrion. I think he likes just like serve others too. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're, I think you're right too because he like latches onto Brienne immediately as well. He's just oh, no, happy I meant to the be women. around. Oh, <laughs> I think yeah, the yeah, women yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. have to do a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny, man. So great. Um, I thought this was interesting too because we get a little scene with um, between Baelish and Tyrion, and Baelish says to him, "I owe you a significant debt." Our red-headed friend, you secured her release when the queen detained her, and I was like, "Ooh, Littlefinger's and Tyrion's debt." So that was interesting. Um, and then. Yeah, Tyrion asks for any advice on how to operate in this new position as Master of Coin. And Baelish responds, keep a low profile. And if I says, had a, what? what is it? I, if I had a dragon for every time yeah. somebody said that. I'd be richer than you are. Well, you are richer than I am. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. And uh, he goes on to say that you know, he's intimidated by all the, 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 the process of becoming the master of coin and having to deal with this. And Baelish is like, they're only numbers, numbers on paper. Once you understand that, it's easy to make them behave, trivial even. thought that was pretty funny. I think it was really telling of his character. How so? 
Well, because I don't think he res- he doesn't. I mean, it's very clearly we find out in the rest of the episode that he doesn't respect anything. He doesn't respect people. He doesn't respect money. He doesn't respect his whores. He doesn't. Res- <laughs> yeah. I hate, you know, and for him to say, listen, you could you could do anything to make the numbers look good on paper. Like, you know, this guy's the limit. Like he's basically telling Tyrion, like, this is not hard because nothing here is real. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, just, basically. just like little They're just numbers. They don't mean anything. Yeah. Well, he, you know, just he's like not Bron real. Says. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> You know, so I, I just thought it was really telling of Littlefinger. Like, I personally, I think he was happy to get rid of Master of Coin. He was like, T- give this to anyone but me. He's already got all the money he needs from that position, and loading his pockets. Two titles now. Yeah, titles seem to breed titles, don't they? God, I hate him. I thought that was a great line, though. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. Yeah. I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. I love him. <laughs> I hate him, but I love him so much. Ah. <laughs> it's great. So that's funny. They're they're rolling along, and and Tyrion walks out after having that conversation, and Pot is standing there, all proper, with his arms tucked behind his back, next to Bronn, who's flirting with a, a beauty, beautiful lady. Uh, so later tonight, then he's saying, and Pot is kind of you know, oh, like <laughs> he's left out, and you can see it. He's just like kind of bummed out the whole time that he's in there. Is you can see that he's trying to maintain his focus and not be looking at all the girls and everything. And so as they're rolling along and and talking. Uh, Tyrion says, Podrick, yes, my lord, after a long consultation with my colleague, Sir Bronn, I've finally found a suitable reward for the services you've provided over and above what might be considered reasonable. Tell me, Pod, have you ever been with a woman? <laughs> no, my lord. <laughs> Wonderful. No, my lord. <laughs> and this is just like the coolest, one of the coolest scenes of the whole show, um, as every man on earth is super jealous of Pod here. Um, Jenna specializes in first timers and Pod is like <laughs> his face is like what you know and she comes out from behind the curtain and now as it happens Marie is quite the spear handler herself I thought that was a good line because he had just talked about Pod putting his spear through his would be killer's face uh, so it was funny and Pod's face as he sees the second woman is just like is priceless he's even more shocked than he already was <laughs> She's here to thank you for staying by my side as the battle raged all around me. And uh, she has a great reaction, too. You can tell she's good at her job. He's handsome. You didn't tell me he was handsome. You know, she's acting all into it. And Pod is melting. (laughs) Then uh, Kayla is famous from here to Volantis in certain circles. And (laughs) it cuts to Pod's face as the two other women are like like draped over him. He looks dizzy yeah. at this point. He has sort of an uneven double eye blink where one eye like closes more than the other one. Yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah, like yeah, his yeah. brains are starting to fail. <laughs> oh my god, it's priceless. She's one of four women in the world who can perform a proper Marinese knot. And if there are any lady listeners out there who can perform a proper Marinese knot, PM me. Wink, wink. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this turned into this turned into a eHarmony. <laughs> Match.thrones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Match.thrones. There you go. So that was so turned funny, Turned into business man. venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Pod is just, like, blown away as this girl is, like, contorting in front of him and, like, 
doing all this crazy stuff um, in like a su- suggestive ways and stuff. And and as they start to roll out, um, Bra- uh, Bron is now dragging the the little cart with all the, the ledgers, and he says, "Pace yourself, lad," which I thought was good advice. <laughs> I, well, he looked like he was about to go headfirst into that woman's yeah. crotch. So, you know, yeah, 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 he was, was going to be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I said, uh, I wrote down Wisdom from the Bronster. And I like yeah. that name, Bronster. It's like monster, but with, with Bron. Because he is a monster, man. He's cool. So then uh, it cuts to the next scene, and they're Bron and, um, and, and, Tyrion are sitting Tyrion. talking. Yeah, I was like, who? Uh, they're they're talking about Littlefinger, and uh, Tyrion is is disappointed. It seems he's like, for years I've heard Littlefinger is a magician. You know, when the crowd needs money, he rubs his hands together, and poof, mountains of gold. And Bronn is like, let me guess, he's not a magician. No, he's stealing it. Worse, he's borrowing it, and that is true. Borrowing is bad. It's really bad. Um, there's more debt on the planet today than, you know, <laughs> it could swallow up the GDP like over a hundred times. I think of <laughs> the derivatives bubble and the, it's just crazy. So debt is good, is bad. And Tyrion's right. Um, you don't want to be in debt. So Bronn doesn't understand what's wrong with that. He's like, we can't afford to pay it. <laughs> That's what's wrong with it. The crown owes millions to my father, tens of millions to the iron bank. Um, and soon we may have some solutions for you guys, so you guys don't have to rely on the Iron Bank either. Um, but we'll get to that at another point. So, um, he's talking about how he's never borrowed money, and he's not clear on the rules, and did you catch what it was that he picked up from the top of that cabinet there? He sort of picks up something, looks at it, looks at Tyrion, who, like, kind of looks like, don't touch that, (laughs) you know, or something. No. I couldn't tell what it was. Um. Oh, I thought maybe you had some kind of exciting revelation no, I, was like, I, I was wondering what if was you it? did <laughs> i was waiting for pod to show back up because i i because i had a funny thing to say about that right so it's just about <laughs> at that moment when uh when pod comes in ah the return of the conquering hero and what do, what do you got to say about that <laughs> no what i was gonna say was is that pod comes back with like his bag of gold and it's just like you know if you sent pod over the iron bank maybe he could get something figured out for them you know <laughs> All debt taken care of. Thank you very much, Podrick Payne. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's woman run, it should be fine, right? Podrick Podrick Payne may rule the Iron Throne with his ways. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. That's great. I he's like still it. alive. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's one he of is. the few. <laughs> What's he? He's, he's um, at Winterfell with Bran at this point, right? I know. You know what? That's one nut he's not going to be able to crack. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe uh, maybe. She'll end up falling for for Pod over Tormund and Jamie because of his unique abilities. Plot twist. Oh, maybe <laughs> he breaks the unbreakable. Uh, you know the bear and the maiden fair. Yeah, he con- he tames the bear. Oh, I like it. So that makes him the maiden fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he comes back in. Does he have a little jaunt in his step? The lad's oh, practically yes. skipping. You were gone oh, a yes. long time. I trust you got your money's worth. <laughs> Plops that big bag of coin right back on the on the table. And there's some funny lines here which I thought were worth mentioning. That um, he says, "Pod, it was a gift. This is more than I give you in in a year." And Bron says, "He's a squire. You don't pay him." <laughs> oh, Podrick's shaking his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, yeah. No, dude, you don't. <laughs> oh, then it's much more than I gave you in a year. At that point, I would have just given him the bag and been like, "Keep it," you know. Um, I was waiting for that too. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he did after the scene. I have no doubt. 
Um, once they figure out everything and they get their, their valuable information from him <laughs> that they can use That's in the worth future. worth its weight in gold, yeah, Yeah, for they sure. pay him the gold for that info. So it's so funny. He, um, <laughs> they wouldn't take it, my lord. Maybe they're trying to curry some favor with the new master of coin, but no, Tyrion sees through that because they didn't, they took his money. You know, if they wanted to curry, fa- curry, um, favor with him they would have turned his money down so <laughs> he's like what did you tell them it's nothing like, my lord <laughs> what did you do to them lots of things <laughs> and they seem to like these things <laughs> yes my lord <laughs> of course they seem to like it they're paid to like it only they weren't paid what are you saying these ladies enjoyed him so much they gave him the time for free? Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> and Pod's look of accomplishment in this moment is beautiful. And and it cuts to Tyrion who's shocked and Bronn is just like, what? They like give him his chair, they yeah. give him wine. They're just they, like, they, they become both, like women. They're like, we need all the details yeah. and we need them right now. They both <laughs> immediately stand up and Tyrion's like, sit down, Podrick. We need to just talk. We need details. <laughs> Copious details. Bron grabs the chair, grabs grabs Pod, smacks him on the shoulder, drags him over, sits him down, and then like Pod is just like, what? Like he's sort of out of his element and he like glances around and he looks clueless, but also like the smartest person in the world um, at that moment. So <laughs> I just thought this is a great scene. So many ways. Pod's awesome. Well, it's great because every single time Bron sees Pod now, he always mentions it. And it <laughs> yeah, makes he... Pod uncomfortable. When they're reunited, um, in season seven, I believe, he even he grabs him by the cock, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> Boom, yeah. Oh, there's that famous cock I haven't seen in so long. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> he I sneak attacks the three him. Of them together. Yeah, I like that. He like the way before he punches him in the dick or whatever, he like sneak attacks him and grabs him from behind and pretends like he's attacking him. <laughs> Starts beating him up a little bit now that Pot has started training and he's like rubbing in that he's still a beginner. Oh, it's like it's a his little brother. Yeah, playful antagonism. Um, I was listening to somebody talk about <laughs> about that the other day, and they're like, "Women, you know, they want to be treated like men." And he's like, "No, no, you don't want that." He's like, "I'll be setting you up for failure. I'll be picking on you. You know, I'll be like making fun of you. I'll be, I'll have whole rooms laughing at how small your cock is. You know, you don't want to be treated like we treat other guys." <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So yeah, just really great. Oh, that's awesome. Is it do you, is that is that your number 5? Yeah, yeah, pretty much wraps it up. Pods <sighs> excellence and uh yeah. Pods excellence. Yeah, the pods delight. Pods delight. <laughs> <laughs> it's rapper's delight. I love it. Her like afternoon delight isn't that about like a like a quickie. Oh, that's right. That's I a... went to rapper's delight. <laughs> funny. Classic. Yes, but yours is yours is yours is better. <laughs> Well, since we touched on it a little bit already, I'm going to um, just go into my number five, which is, of course, Littlefinger. Oh, Littlefinger, okay. Only because I love him. Um, yeah. And I hate him. <laughs> so, so, um, so one of my, like, my number two is the small council meeting. So I'm just going to, like, lightly touch on it right now. Um, sure. Because I want to, like, really talk about it later. But, um What's interesting is that Littlefinger did not use his Littlefinger voice very much in this episode. Like when he was speaking to Tywin in the small council music uh, meeting, he did that really weird thing. He does it from time to time. I don't know if you've noticed it where he talks and his his chin goes up and he like overemphasizes his words 
almost like I, I, like he looks like a bobblehead almost. Huh. And I'm just he's like over enunciating. It's really strange. I'll but to go back and check. Yeah, it was it's when funny, he was man. talking about um, about being betrothed to Liza. Right. And oh, um, he's getting all cocky because he's like, yeah, oh, she's right. always been interested in me. <laughs> Ugh, gross. <laughs> um, and so he um, seriously. But, um, you know, he's starting to he's starting to collect his power. He's now Lord of Hall. He's about to be Lord of the Vale. And it's funny when he's made master of coin, he not only does he not seem surprised, um, when he's about to let go of Master of Coin, not only is he not surprised, but he seems like really excited about this. Enthusiastic, yeah. And I think it's because the fact that Tywin is giving it to Tyrion, Tywin doesn't think much of Master of Coin, and maybe Littlefinger, maybe Littlefinger is thinking that he's raising in status higher than the family members now because Ooh. he's been relieved of the lower position. Um. And so, you know, we know in the great scheme of things with Littlefinger is that his whole agenda is to ultimately Littlefinger. <laughs> right, is ultimately to be in ultimate power, right? Right. And so he wants that absolute power. This is a major step for him and his, you know, secret agenda. And so, you know, he's giving away this stuff and while he's talking to Tyrion, it seemed that he was on the level with Tyrion in the brothel. Like he never, he never danced around his words. He was really straightforward with him. He used his regular voice. He didn't use his slimy, snaky voice. Hmm. Um, and I think it was just like he knew that Tyrion was going to see everything that he's been trying to hide. So why hide it at uh, this point? True. It's not. It's not even his. Yeah, he was very on the responsibility level anymore. Yeah, I mean, it was really. It was like one of those honest conversations because he know that it. He knows. I think that it ultimately like totally didn't matter. Yeah. Um. It's like I'm about to be out of this bitch. Yeah, it's like you know when probably when presidents are done being president. <laughs> <laughs> just like here here's everything take and it i'm out <laughs> yeah exactly. i've got enough white hair already <laughs> i know i'm gonna go dig myself an early grave i'm out of here <laughs> you know um so anyways i just thought that that was just kind of interesting uh we see Littlefinger gets he gets a little higher in status he lets go he's ultimately this is his exit of the small council isn't it um, I he's believe not, if he's not master of coin anymore and right. he's just a lord, then he's not in the small council anymore. He serves no purpose mm-hmm. other than to just be maybe an advisor, but I don't Unless know. Unless there's like a training period. <laughs> didn't seem like it though. Tyrion was just like, any advice? <laughs> well, Ty- I mean, he didn't have any information on Jamie, so Tywin is like, well, okay, go go to the Vale and be, be of service there later. <laughs> I don't know. So anyways... That's it. Just little finger. All right. So what's your number four? Let's see. My number four, I will say, is the floppy fish. Mmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We got the black fish, too. Um, so we have both fishes, black and floppy. Um, oh, that floppy fish. I hate him. <laughs> He's so funny. Um, for, for anybody who doesn't understand the floppy fish reference, it's a book detail that is pretty pretty hilarious. There's a singer who um, had written a song about Edmure, uh, called it the, something about the floppy fish. So 
you'll you'll have to read it to really understand. But I'm sure you can sort of imagine where that what that's insinuating. <laughs> so um, they're they're sitting there and they're they're preparing. They're doing Hoster Tully his funeral, and they uh, Rob and the Blackfish step out into the river and push the boat out into the distance. And Edmure steps up, and this is all in silence. There's no dialogue, which is pretty cool. Edmure steps up and and grabs an arrow, sets it on fire, cocks it back, and his you can see his arms are like not very stable, and he's like kind of like all over the place, and shoots it. It's short. Gives it three tries, can't hit the freaking thing, <laughs> and the blackfish is just gets frustrated because the the little boat is about to round the bend. You know, like they have one shot basically left to try to. Um, follow through with the way that this funeral rite is supposed to play out. Otherwise, I'm sure it's a bad omen. And uh, so the blackfish grabs grabs the bow, shoves shoves the floppy fish aside, Edmure, and uh, he sets the thing on fire, pulls back the drawstring, glances over at the Tully flag for, for strength and, and true shot, and lets it rip. And he's so confident with his arc that he <laughs> tosses the bow back to Edmure and Storms off even before the uh, the arrow hits and strike and lights the uh, the boat ablaze, but yeah, what a like you get an immediate sense of this just the uh, the, the strength of this character, and um, I just yeah he's he's just really cool guy. I love this scene, and then oh yeah, so they they it cuts inside and it's Rob and Edmure and the Blackfish and they're all talking, and it turns out that Edmure had taken a mill. That um, the mountain had garrisoned, um, a mountain was garrisoned across the river from this mill, and so Rob is pissed because he had given Edmure orders to stay where he was basically and and not do anything, and he had a plan to lure the mountain um, into this into their spot so that they could um, basically surround him and kill him. He says, "I wanted him to chase us, which he would have done because he is a mad dog without a strategic thought in his head. I could have yes. had his head on a spike by now. Yep. And I was just thinking, wow, imagine how different things would have been if the mountain had been caught by Rob Stark in season three. The, that would have been the awesome. red viper would still be alive. Um, like so much stuff would be different. Cersei would be dead, probably. Um, uh, uh, just so much stuff. Wow, it, I just I like, couldn't believe it. I'd never really like it. Never had like sunk into me before. But this time I was just thinking about all the possibilities. If um, you know, if if he had actually been killed, and first Edmure is still all cocky in this scene, and he's like, you know, I took an advantage of an opportunity, you know, blah 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 blah, and Rob like <laughs> really puts him in his place, um, which was pretty brutal. He's like, instead we have a mill. You know, and we took, he's like, we took hostages. William Lannister, Martin Lannister. He's like, William and Martin Lannister are 14 years old. Martin's 15, I believe. <laughs> Pointless. Right. He's like, Tywin Lannister has my sisters. Have I sued for peace? No. You think he'll sue for peace because we have his father's brother's great grandsons? He hasn't sued for peace yet. Yeah. And, and Edmure's like, no. <laughs> How many men did you lose? 208. But for every man we lost, the. Lannisters, we need more men than Tywin. We need my, our men more than Tywin needs his. And Rob, like, kind of like loses his shit at this point. His anger is intense. Yeah, it flares. Um, He's got that blackfish anger. Yeah, definitely, that Pacino anger. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he, you know, Rob, at that point, Edmure is apologetic and he's like, I didn't know, you know, and he's like, you would have right here today and at this gathering if you'd just been patient, you know. Um, you know, you seem to be running short of patience here, but you know who isn't? Tywin Lannister. Right, he's playing yep. a long game. So I thought this was just kind of a fun scene to um, to get a get a good character read on on the blackfish and on the floppy fish, and just a couple great characters that um, we'll get to enjoy a li- at least a little bit more. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. I thought it was it was amazing that we got to see the blackfish come back after being missing for so long and everything like that. Um, and he may still be alive. On the show. Yeah. I mean, we, Jamie we Lannister is him. told that they cut him down. We don't yeah. see it, but uh, but that we any death that does not happen on screen is not a death. Yeah, right? that's Isn't pretty that much just... pretty much true for this show. Um, but at the same time, I find it hard to believe that they would lie to Sir Jamie um, and their command. I think that if anything, if they lost him, they'd say can't find him we need to send troops out every direction immediately you know or something like that so I, t- I tend to believe that that this is true i think that they just didn't show the fight because the actor was so old he's like mid-70s they probably didn't want to bust him into a million pieces you know who could have done that really well liam neeson <laughs> how old is he i think he's about 70 put me in the ring with liam neeson oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> He'll cut you down very quickly, buddy. <laughs> no way. No way. Yes, way. Have you seen Taken? Have you seen Taken? I actually have not, but I would fight Liam Neeson. We're going to take tickets for this. This is going to be our new fundraising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our new fundraising effort. <laughs> In the left corner, it's Sir Duncan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I love that. I just want to walk around with the little round numbers, you know, with mm-hmm. the... um. The little plaques that say the round, what round oh, it is, the, like you know, like in boxing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Give me a blindfold. I don't care. As oh my gosh. Now I really, I, now I really want to see. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of confidence there, buddy. <laughs> he, he's not really tough. It's acting. You know, half those shots are probably doubles anyway. Um, but so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that wraps up my number four. Four. What do you got for okay. number four? Lady cool. K. Um, okay, so here's what I have. Um, it's two things that I put into one. So it's the beginning of Jamie's redemption and the title Walk of Punishment. Um, it was my, whoa, it was my four and five, and I kind of put it together as my number four because I think uh, the Walk of Punishment in this episode, which is the title of the episode, um, is Jamie. I think that, you know, that walk that he does from just being tied to that tree tree. over to that tree stump, that is his walk of punishment. He got too cocky. He got too arrogant. um, And he did not know the crazy he was dealing with. Yeah. And I mean, who did? Right. I mean, I remember the first time. I remember the first time I read and the first time I saw it. It was shocking. Even when I knew what was going to happen, it was still shocking. Yeah. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) 
you know, and, and, and you're sitting there and you're like, they cut off his hand. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. just kind of can't believe what's <laughs> happening in front of you. That's like taking um, like a prized racehorse and just like smashing its leg with a baseball bat or something. Like, yes. Like that's like yes. the most horrible thing you could Locked imagine. Tanya Hardinged him. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's fucked up. Good, to, <laughs> good call there. Um, so what's funny is that, you know, a lot of people say that this is kind of the beginning of Jamie's redemption arc when his hand gets chopped off. But I would go as far to say that the beginning of his redemption arc is probably um, uh, when he saved Brienne. Um, oh, you and mean I in, only... the, in the pit? No. Oh, you mean no. when, when he when saved her he from rape? saved her from being raped. Right. Because... Just a few episodes ago, I mean, it wasn't long. It wasn't that long ago that he killed his own cousin to escape Rob's camp. Right. And so here we are now. He's with a woman that has basically held him tied up, you know, to chains <clears throat> and a tree and keeps calling him the Kingslayer and has given him no respect, you know, and he sees that this woman who I think he's kind of grown a, a respect for over yeah, their he, travels he, so far he recognizes they just had that conversation Absolutely. where she was like i'm still a woman and i beat you he's like i've been locked up you know everything everything and she's rubs it in like he i've been hearing about this amazing fighter jamie lannister the best swordsman in westeros and you were slower than i thought you were more predictable than i imagined and he let she like yeah she says to him um oh shoot where is it because it's such a great lane uh line it's uh oh come on Kristen where is it there it is maybe people love to overpraise a famous name yeah and I like thought that, that was really good shut up <laughs> <laughs> so, but what's funny is that Jamie's trying to say like just let them do what they're gonna do to you I'm what they want they're gonna they're gonna kill you if you don't let them like take you or whatever yeah. and she goes I'll let them kill me before I let them take me and like he says, you know what? If I were a woman, I would do I'd the same thing. I'd make him kill me, yeah. Yeah. So, so they related you know, when in that he moment. Sees, exactly. And then he sees that it's actually happening, and she is fighting. She's fighting. Living up to her screaming. claims. Exactly. So he saves her. He doesn't yeah. have to save her. It would have been easier for him not to save her. It would have been easy to throw her to the side. He's had several opportunities to do that. Um, or he will ultimately have several opportunities to do that. And he never does. Um, I think Brienne completely changes him. I agree. I think that you're 100% right. I also believe that the moment that he stepped up to save her is the beginning of the uh, the Jamie redemption arc. He puts yes. himself in the line of fire, draws attention yes. to himself to save mm -hmm. her, which results yes. in his disfiguration. And um, at that moment, you know, that's probably the that's the hand that slayed the king. That's the hand that pushed Bran from the tower. The removal of that hand symbolizes the death of the Kingslayer and the rebirth of Jamie. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. And yeah, when they when they get to um, the the bathhouse and they're in the water and she calls him J Kingslayer and he's like, no, right as he's passing out, it's Jamie. That is Just his Jamie. best scene. That is you his know? best scene in the series. Yeah, it's, it's him in the bathhouse with it's, Brienne. It's <laughs> did he win an award for that? I mean, he <laughs> did. If he, if he didn't, didn't <laughs> he was robbed. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah brutal. Like laying it all on the line. Oh. Uh, 
I can't wait to see that too. Yeah, see, it's there's so up. much good coming I up. I know, this is a really good season. So yeah, you're 100% right. This is the moment that begins the Jamie Redemption arc. Yeah, and I think that it ties into the title of the episode, Walk of Punishment, mm-hmm. um, because he's about to go, I mean, as we know, he's about to just go into self-pity and suicidal thoughts, and, and basically he thinks he's worthless, and who and who helps him get back to any oh, type right. of self-worth? Brienne. Yep. Brienne is the one, you know? She turns him, she, she builds is, him up when he's broken. She is everything cersei never was to him right everything cersei encourages him to be a bad person encourage you know never helps him even when he's back in king's landing so like, selfish so, so self serving she just she doesn't care about All him about she i don't even think she knows him as a person yeah you know Brienne she just projects does, herself onto him basically brienne sees through all of that and sees who Jamie really is. And Jamie, because Jamie and Tyrion are related, they're brothers. Tyrion has a good heart. Jamie has a good heart. You know, Cersei is just has a black darkness to her, you know? Yeah. Much like Tywin, right? I agree. I think that, yeah, I think that Jamie does have a good heart. He's just been thrust into scenarios where he's been, you know, made, had to make impossible decisions. And mm-hmm. then due to the fallout of not being able to tell the truth about, you know, the major decision, killing the king, um, he's become cynical as a result of the way that people treat him. Um, you know, he's well, he like, had I to fucking wear that like you. armor, right? Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. He wore it like armor. And he, he also, um, it's, it, like I said, it made him cynical and it's, it's mm-hmm. caused him to be like, kind of an asshole <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. yes definitely yeah. definitely this is the moment i think this parallels um it parallels the theon arc as well the reek thing they're both sort of irredeemable like bad dudes who are just mm. dicks and then they're both disfigured and lose the one piece of them that they treasure the most oh you know, Jamie, okay his hand is what defines him theon is known for his cock you know like he he's cocksure like he's all he's all about his about his dick like that's you know, that's what theon is. He is he's a captive he doesn't have like a role of position of power he has you know his, what he's born with that makes him special they both are lose them they're both humbled by that experience uh they it kills the old them and they both have to forge a new version of themselves based on merit um as opposed to uh you know what whatever what they've been given or whatever you know whatever yeah it takes theon a little longer but yeah i i <laughs> I, I that's a great parallel that's a great parallel i never saw i never uh, thought of that before just because theon is just so hateful right yeah. now you just even as he rides that stupid horse in the open field you're just wishing somebody would strike him down you know mm-hmm. definitely um beautiful so anyways, horse, that's why number four is just the beginning of jamie's arc nice um, this is where we, you know, we start to soften. We start to say, oh, Jamie, okay, you're all right. You're good. <laughs> Yay, you. I'll, <laughs> I'll piggyback on that a little bit, see if cool. I can add anything. Because my number three is the uh, Jamie Redemption, Redemption arc. Oh, perfect. Let's see. The uh, The scene starts with um, a little cameo of with Gary Lightbody of the band Snow Patrol as he leads the Bolton soldiers in singing The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Oh, yeah. So I heard it, and I was like, this got to be a musician. So I looked it up, and it, it's Snow Gary Patrol. Lightbody from Snow Patrol, which is cool. I love that band. I don't really... I don't think I know that band. I saw them at Coachella. Oh, really? Cool. Mm-hmm. Was it them that did the version of The Bear and the Maiden Fair in the in the credits at the end? That's the Hold Steady. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. Interesting. 
Um, so they're singing, wrote, doing their thing, and then Brandon and Jamie have this good conversation that we pretty much covered already, um, which was really cool. Um, it was a good, like, it was it was funny, you know, that he, I think I really do think that his respect is building as he's recognizing that wow, she is really a, like something special, impressive, mm-hmm. strong, and fast, and brutal, and. He's like, I was in chains for a year. It's like, so you're still the Kingslayer, you know? And I'm a woman, you know? Um, which is pretty awesome. He had a funny line. I'm not, not funny, it's horrible in context, like thinking about the scenario, but he says, close your eyes and pretend they're Renly. I know. <laughs> which would really make her mad, I imagine. Um, which is pretty funny. So uh, I, I thought that it was a pretty clever um, plot or, or scheme that he came up with to trick lock um with the the sapphires because he knows it's not true right so i thought that was pretty good that he was able to come up with something that quickly and make it convincing enough to um to change lock's mind and there are all these little details in this scene that i thought were really good um like you can sort of see the the change on jamie as as the redemption arc begins and he steps up you can like see it on his face as he's as he's deciding to make his move and then as as Brienne gets brought back and her screams are like <laughs> like um real yeah <laughs> like br- brutal uh gut wrenching um so she comes back she gets sat down and she looks surprised um that that this is happening um she 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 knows that he must have said something to save her and she's like just kind of like observing like what is going on like well she thinks he has no honor right so she's yeah she's taken aback by this um based on their conversation earlier i'm sure that she thought he was just gonna let it happen yes so she knows that she's being returned he must have said something he's over there negotiating with Locke, so she's like paying attention like what is going on and um it's funny he's sort of continuing uh, he's he's he sort of thinks he tricks Locke into letting him letting him up from the tree He's like, you know, and I'm not asking to be freed from my constraints, but if I could sleep lying down, my back would thank you for it. I'm not as young and resilient as I once was. And he's like, none of us are. And he lets him up. Unchains Sir Jamie from the tree. And Jamie looks over at Brienne and has this sort of like, ha ha, look like, sweet. Things are looking like they're improving for both of us. Ha ha. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right he's like look like, i got oh, him right shit. where i want him yeah and her look is she kind of like looks on and i couldn't tell if she looked like she was jealous that he was getting you know supposedly a partridge and being let up from the tree or if she was nervous i couldn't tell from the look it looked like she may be nervous that like she feels like something isn't right she could be just thoroughly confused too that too She's yeah like, what is she ha- is she is Brienne, um yeah. who is you know d- a descendant of sir duncan the tall and what do they say about sir duncan the tall thick as a castle wall dunk the lunk he's not necessarily <laughs> the smartest uh, of guys but he is the biggest and toughest <laughs> i think that applies pretty well to uh, Brienne too another hint that uh that she has a significant background as well or ancestry, I should say. Wasn't um, that? Yeah, that was confirmed, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, Grim. Yeah. Grim has confirmed that. Yeah. That's so that's pretty thought. cool. Um, there's. Uh, I'm hopefully we'll get a, a Duncan Egg novella at some point explaining that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I. 
listen, man, I, I, I honest to God, just want the next book. Yeah, you can no. edit that out. You can edit it out all you want. Listen, I don't give a shit about any of this fire and blood bullshit. I just want the next fucking book. Okay? I want to I know how a hedge knight impregnated, you know, the daughter of the Lord of Tarth. That's what I want to know. But yeah, I, yeah, want, there you I go. want the next book. To, <laughs> That's next the book burning to. question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The burning question of all of everything. Is, of all how? of A Song of Ice and Fire. That's the one. You got it. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cut that out. By the way. <laughs> just, <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought this was just a well done scene. I'm, I'm, it was heartwarming to see uh, Jamie make a good decision. You know, the first thing he's done. Yes. It's not despicable. And um, yes. Then having seen that um, and cr- creating a crack of sympathy in in our hatred armor for, for Jamie mm. um, immediately seeing his hand get get cut off sort of it's like ice expanding in the crack and making us feel even more sympathetic to Jamie so this this episode is the moment where we start to feel sympathetic to Jamie as a character at all basically he hasn't done anything that's made us feel sympathetic yet has he um no, I mean, so, so no, but when, what, this is why I hesitated because, you know, when you go back and you watch it and you know Jamie's entire arc, you can go back to the breakfast table at Winterfell when they were, when all the Lannisters were having Bacon breakfast together. Yeah. And Tyrion was telling Cersei and Jamie I'd be curious that to what he has to Bran say when was he still up. alive. Yeah. And he looked concerned not to get caught but he actually looked a little relieved that he wasn't dead i don't know there was there was genuine concern on his face and i don't think that it was for himself right because i think he realized that he tried to kill a little child yeah i think you're probably right so but but so that's the only struggle that i have with that is that that's probably the first flicker flicker i'm saying like right. very tiny <laughs> right off the bat too episode yeah, two and it's only if you know the story of jamie yeah that definitely you can pick up on that only if you know the story right otherwise so. you just think he's looking out for you know his cya type thing yeah so there was something cool that i came across um no way, uh, earlier today regarding this scene um so after they chopped off Jamie's hand. It was such a shocking moment. Um, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were talking about it in the Inside the Episode uh, featurette and they said that they chose uh, the song that they chose at the very end of the, the credits. The they the wanted it to be yeah, They but they chose that specific version of it by the Hold Steady because it was like this upbeat kind of rock song and it totally jarred you from what had just happened and they wanted you to stay with that jarring and shocking like feeling and they didn't want to go into anything that was composed Somber for and yeah to like take you out of the episode they wanted you to, to stay you in again. that <laughs> heightened yeah they wanted you to stay in that heightened sense because Conflicted. what just happened they they attributed Jamie losing his hand to as much as a shock factor as Ned getting killed. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. But I, I thought that that was just kind of like a cool little piece of trivia. Definitely. Um, I, I like that, too. This was the first episode in the series that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss directed. Oh, neat. Yeah. Nice. 
I thought it was a good choice to do with something upbeat too. Um, it just sometimes sometimes it fits to have that juxtaposition where something really bad happens and it's ah, you know, everything's mm-hmm. happy. And it's also probably a good thing that his hand gets cut off um, because it 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 propels him onto this redemption arc. And I think it's going to end up having good um, results for the kingdom. Like he's going to do something that will be good, right? So it's mm. probably a good thing that this happened and the music is like, yay, da 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 It's telling jazz us it's... Hand. <laughs> or jazz, jazz hand. Jazz hand. <laughs> no, just jazz hand, singular. <laughs> <laughs> this hot dog stand has no ketchup. Um, yeah, so that was pretty wild. Crazy scene. Yeah, it wraps up my number, my number four as well. Cool, man. I like it. How about show number Trace? So my number three is Daenerys. Um, It's Daenerys grows more confident in herself, right? We see her. First of all, we see Daenerys, you know, she's walking along. um, I forget what it was called, but she's, you know, looking at the walk of punishment. She's learning about it from Jorah and Barristan. And I don't know if you noticed this, but Jorah is talking a lot. Uh, in yeah, this scene, like he's nervous, like Barristan sets him on edge, and, and he's, he's like, just yeah, doing anything he can to like angle himself stay. above Barristan. Still, yes. Oh, is it we already, Sir Barristan? You know. <laughs> but it's also, you know, he, he, yeah, right. He's totally nervous about what does this mean for him because Barristan sell me is Barristan sell me, you yeah. know. And he um, probably knows the truth too. Right. Well, not only that, but, you know, he used to serve her father. He's got a rich history with the Targaryens. He's got a lot of um, intel on the current monarch or king, I guess, of what's going on. Um, You know, and and so it's just really funny because he's just... He's just like it's like it's it's like you can tell. Okay, well, when Jorah's nervous, he talks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and so when 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 you're listening to Barristan talk to da- Daenerys about um when he served the Targaryens, you can tell that there was an immense love for Rhaegar. Um, yeah. And I thought that that was really important to emphasize that not all the Targaryens from the previous um, dynasty was was bad. Yeah, it's like you they know? say that's like uh, every time a Targaryen is born, it's like flipping a coin. You know, right? Fifty fifty odds. It could be like either the best of men or the worst of men. But I also think that it's important for Daenerys to know that she's not going back to Westeros with only the Mad King in the backs of everybody's. That's a good point, too, that there were Targaryens that were loved, that people would fight for. And Rhaegar was one of them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's known as the last dragon. And I just love that line when she said he was not the last dragon. Yes. Booyah, bitches. That's right. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, she had two excellent moments uh, in this episode. I just, oh, I just love her so much. Uh, (laughs) This was a great episode for her. She was very close to being my number one. Um, (laughs) So, so what's cool is that um, she's, so she goes up to, and I get his name wrong every single time. Hang on. I'm going to say it right today. Oh, come on. I was going to, I was going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So she goes up to meet with Krasnius and, um, and you know, it's the same old charade, right? It's, you know, 
this he's speaking in Valerian. I got She's all acting the like this she time. doesn't know. Um oh of what he said. Yeah. <laughs> and um I just I, I love it that Masende is is it, it it struck me that Masende has is probably the reason why Krasnius isn't dead. Oh, absolutely. Like somehow she's been protecting him for a long time. Ugh. You know? Her diplomacy is amazing. Well, and her you know, and the fact that he has that eight thousand eight thousand man unsullied shield protect protecting him oh, theoretically. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. You forget about them. <laughs> They're so silent. <laughs> um you know, but it was such a great moment because, you know, they get they get the whole price of, of the dragons and, and whatnot. And then all of a sudden she, or, or for the uh, unsullied. And then there's this pause. And she said, yeah, I don't have any money. I have dragons, bitches, oh. you know, like and the weight of what she said. I mean, Barristan and, and Jorah just like descend just jumped upon forward. her. They're like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? You know, and uh-huh. Masinde can't believe what she's hearing. She she can't even believe that she's translating it, right. you know? Yeah, this is important to mention that this is happening in the context right after their discussion about um, about Rhaegar and... Being and, the last dragon. And, well, and, yeah, not, right. not being the last dragon, but they're talking about um, different tactics, right? And they're oh, saying... Oh, when, oh, your, yes, when yes. your brother Rhaegar led his army into battle at the Trident, they're discussing whether or not to buy the Unsullied. Men died mm-hmm. for him because they believed in him, in him, because they loved him, not because they'd been bought at a slaver's auction, right? And he said, Barristan says, I fought beside the last dragon on that day, your grace. I bled beside him. And Jorah mm-hmm. says, Rhaegar fought valiantly. Rhaegar fought nobly. And Rhaegar died. So she has just learned that being 100% noble, 100% valiant, may result in in your death. We saw that with Ned, right? So we know this is true. So she is determining at this point if she if she needs to strategize and needs to play a little bit dirty, right? She's like, who should I play dirty against? Like I could buy the unsullied and it would be like that's dirty against the unsullied because they're slaves and I'm owning them and telling them what to do. I think she she knows full well that if she's going to play dirty, she's going to she's going to make Krasny's the mark. You know, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so they I, oh, sort of totally. hint at it with the previous mm-hmm. scene, um, which I thought was really, really cleverly written. And um, she, I can agree it's, with it's that. It's already sunk in, and she's she's has her plan figured out. She knows she can't be a hundred percent good. Is at it this me? Point. Is it me, or does she look like she's forming it in her head? As it's happening, <laughs> yeah, she's looking around and she's seeing the yeah, colors around all the everyone. Looking down, and she's, and, right? She sees. I kind think you're of right. what's happening behind the scenes of of this deal that she that's being made and i think she knows that she does have the upper the upper hand she has the dragons she's been training the dragons the dragons are getting bigger we know this we've seen them on the ship we've seen that they they can you know get their own food they they can fire their own food that right. she we know that they follow commands we so the they've laid They've the laid the groundwork for us on this for what's coming next episode, right? So the big time. I want the biggest dra- dragon, and she's like done. And I, <laughs> yes, I, I just remember when this when this happened, and uh, it, dragons there's are so many no times, slaves. There's so many big moments that I think back to the first time I saw it, and I just remember thinking to myself, "What are you doing? Oh my gosh!" Just like Barristan and Jorah. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like you're 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 on their side. You're like, uh, you need to listen to your advisors. Yeah. You know? But she takes Miss Cindy immediately. I love that too, how she um how she was like, never question me in front of 
strangers again, like never. Yeah. That right, exactly. So that that was my other thing is that you know she leaves and we all love her, right? Mm. We all think that she's wonderful. She has a, this good heart. She has a soft spot for slaves. She wants to free people. She wants, you know, you can tell that she wants to do things differently. But she's not somebody that you fuck with. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know. Even, and when she even turns Viserys around, found that out. she's got that icy stare at both of them you mm-hmm. know it's like it's like she's scolding her children she's like if you ever do that in, in front of public to me again i will ground you yeah. you know misa that'll be the end of that <laughs> you know she's um but before before that when she's making the deal for drogon for the unsullied and she's taking Missinde, she's got that look on her face that she usually has when she knows what she's doing before she went into the pyre uh she oh, had that look she on has her this face look of just like sp- blank like pure like confidence no question like she yeah it's like she and she had that again during this scene like you could tell especially oh. when she says i want missandei too like you can tell that like something is afoot like she's 100 percent confident at this point she's making demands she's yeah. in total control she knows yeah, she it. knows that she has him by offering the dragons she she's roped him in and he thinks that he has her roped yeah. in and she right? it's, it's it's true like she isn't making she isn't even really deceiving him you know she's like i'll hand over the dragon if you can control him fine you know <laughs> but yeah, a totally. dragon's no slave you know we made this honest deal um but, but if you can't control him <laughs> it's that's then, your then, fault you buddy. Know, sucks for you <laughs> <Yeah>. buddy <laughs> dracarys um, a dragon is no slave man you're used to dealing in slaves welcome uh, to reality so so as as they're walking away, as Masinde and Daenerys are walking away, you know, she's she's still talking very formally with her, trying to get information. I think yeah. probably because she's like I think because if Masinde had a family, if Masinde had a family, she would tell Masinde, go be with your family. Or at like, least give her the option, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But then she says, uh, but then Masinde, what does she say? She says, Valar Margulis. And mm. um Daenerys, who nobody knows that she knows any, any Valyrian, of, right? Any at all? She says yes. All men must die, but we are not men. So there's. Oh there's, my gosh, yes. I love her so much. I know. I knew you were gonna like love that. <laughs> so, but Masinde, I don't like. She, she gets this it, look it, on her face. She stops. It stops her dead in her tracks. But she smiles, <laughs> yeah. and you can tell she's like, "Holy oh shit, I'm on the right side. I'm on the right side." Yeah, she's like. <laughs> probably the most excited she's ever been in her like in, in her modern life at that point like yes she's so shocked it, it stops her dead in her tracks and she just can't control it the smile just like like covers her whole it was, face and it was she, awesome it, you know what we were all missing day in that moment oh yeah and that when and that's said, our first we are not too. men yeah <laughs> yeah oh so cool and, all men must die but we're not men i'm like yeah. Bitch, yeah did you see that that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, some of those Valyrian words are not gender specific, right? Uh, including including dragons. <laughs> so I wonder I wonder how that applies to this phrase. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Oh, I wonder I, if anybody's ever brought that up before. I may have just like like come up with something entirely new. Uh, you're gonna get pitchforks at your door. Absolutely. um uh for anybody that's wondering uh when barristan said that he fought in three wars it was the war of the nine penny kings the Greyjoy rebellion and robert's rebellion Mm. just nice 
when he said that he had fought in three wars. There are also to... countless other skirmishes, though, like the uh, the defiance of Duskendale, for instance, when he when when the king was captured, the Mad King Ares was captured, held prisoner at Duskendale, um, which is where Sir Dantos, the fool that that um, that Sansa saves when Joffrey's about to kill him, um, he shows up drunk in the to, to fight. Uh, that guy's from Duskendale. Um, mm. Just a little little bonus trivia. But uh, when the Mad King was captured and held prisoner, uh, Barristan the Bold infiltrated Duskendale on his own, recovered the king, and exfiltrated without being killed, without the king being killed. It's like the single most badass feat that I uh, that ever occurred in Westeros, as far as I'm aware. Nice. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like Barristan is a living legend. Um, the fact that Danny has him on her side now it cannot be like the significance cannot understated. be overstated. Yeah, yeah, that and um, and Jora, she's yeah, got Jorah's she's a got some heavy too. hitters, big heavy she's hitters. About, she's about to have Grey Worm too, which I think he's pretty amazing. <laughs> what he so. lacks in cocks, he makes up for with spear length. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that wraps up my number three is Daenerys, and I love her, and all men must die, but we nice. are not men. Yes. So what's your number two? <laughs> my number two also covers that, so I'll see if there's anything else I can piggyback off that. Um, I think we covered that mostly pretty well, though. There were just a few good lines. Um, there's a beast in every man, it stir and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand, like that mm. line by Sir Jorah. Or no, um, someone, when he, I think Barristan says it when he's talking about the sacking of King's Landing. Um, and he's advocating to buy the Unsullied. He says the Unsullied are not men. They do not rape. They don't put cities to the sword unless they're ordered to do it. If you buy them, the only men they'll kill are those you want dead. Um do you disagree, Sir Barristan? Okay, so it's Jorah who's arguing in favor of it. And um, that's when Barristan says that Rhaegar didn't own his slaves that fought with him. People fought with him because they liked him. So Danny, naturally, being the problem uh, solver that she is, and we get this moment later on when she's asking, and I think it's season seven when she's talking with Missandei and she asks Missandei's advice. And Missandei says, you don't need my advice. Like, you listen to your advisors, and then you do what's right. You find out the right thing to do. Even when mm-hmm. any, when everybody else can't see it, you see it, and you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens here. She figures out a way to to sabotage Krasny's, simultaneously win the Unsullied to her side, and, and, and win their love, like Rhaegar, by freeing them. Same thing she does with Masandei. So she simultaneously gets the army, gets the love. Um, it's like the single most brilliant possible solution that she could have had to this whole thing. Uh, and it's seamless. <laughs> seamless. And George R. Martin is just like a fucking genius, man. He, and, right? it's, it's just so, it's so good. It's so, so good, good what's about to happen. It's so good. <laughs> oh, man. So good. Yeah, so... <laughs> I fought beside the last dragon on that day, Your Grace. I bled beside him. Rhaegar fought valiantly. Rhaegar fought nobly, and Rhaegar died. Did you know him well, Sir Barristan? I did, Your Grace. Finest man I ever met. I wish I had known him. But he was not the last dragon. Yeah. <laughs> so epic. Um, Krasny's had some great lines, too. The slut thinks she can flash her tits and make us give her whatever she wants. <laughs> Um, it's funny. 
It's funny because she's not flashing anything. And the <laughs> yeah, woman that's point. standing right next to him has been dressed in a way yeah. that, you know, basically shows who Krasny's is. Yeah, he continues to just objectify and demean her. Um, he's like, oh, her ship will buy a hundred unsullied no more. Um, and this because I like the curve of her ass. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Such a scumbag. It's so funny that she can understand everything. Oh, man, it's so great. Just that whole element is brilliant. And she keeps it blank. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps she's holds her poker face beautifully. Um, yeah. Just a great, great scene. Their whole interactions are really funny. I like um, that she, you know, during, during that conversation with Masande, she's like, listen, you know that I'm taking you to war. You may go hungry. You may fall sick. You may be killed. And that's when she responds, Valar Margulis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so fucking hardcore, man. Yeah, Miss Sende proves that she's ready to do it, too. She's yeah. like, nah, okay, she's let's right do She's right there with, in Daznak's pit when they're surrounded by the Sons of the Harpy in season season five, too. You know? Holding Daenerys' hand. Yeah, holding her hand, not backing down. Strength. Like, she is just the embodiment of strength. The- bestest friend that Daenerys could ever have yeah. is that woman. Yep. Beautiful. So yeah, great introduction with her. Just awesome. Um, I called my number three, uh, what is it? The Missande acquisition and twickery, trickery. <laughs> I like it. Um, so yeah, that pretty much wraps that up. I thought it was really good. I love it. I love it. Good job. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So my number two. Mm-hmm. So my number two is the small council meeting. Nice. I love this small council meeting so much from beginning to end. <laughs> um, so what I love, you know, um, you said something earlier a few minutes ago, and I, I jotted it down about how um, the opening of the funeral was all quiet, uh, yeah. was all quiet without dialogue, yep. as was the beginning of the small council meeting. And it's so great because we get introduced to all the Tully characters um, very well without dialogue. And I think that we get a really good sense of everybody kind of the personalities and the power struggle in the small council in the first, you know, 90 seconds of this scene just by playing musical chairs. Yeah. Give us a breakdown. Um, so, you know, you have um, you have all three advisors with three different agendas and none of them include include locating Jamie, right? So we're going to go back to that in a second. Um, so so you have Littlefinger, Varys, and Pycelle and they're all standing <laughs> there and it's very clear to me that Tywin has staged this, right? Oh yeah. He's like, I want all the chairs on this side. I'm going to stand here looking like a dick and I'm going to see what everybody does, right? He has what, well, it was five chairs. It's a very interesting so, choice, of, choice of how to... Um, to, to, to get this this grasp of how of everybody and see their personalities by this specific tactic. It's interesting. Brilliant. I, I, I thought it was very, very, very smart on Tywin's part. So, you know, what does little Littlefinger does what what we all knew Littlefinger was going to be. And he basically stepped on and pushed everybody out of the way to get to be first chair. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. and, and, and when he sits down, nobody's surprised that that happened. Like little uh, varies is Varys, rolling his yeah, eyes. Like sort of like glance back just, and forth, like yeah, figures. Pycelle's just going, "Yep, that seems right," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and varies, you know, he didn't. He he. 
I just don't even think he gives a shit about Littlefinger, but I don't think he wanted to be outwalked by Maester Pycelle. Right. Um, <laughs> and like so, we learned in that bonus scene with Pycelle and Tywin, you know, Pycelle is just happy to be there. He, he doesn't want to stick his, you know, the, the, the flower that grows the fastest gets cut, mm-hmm. for, cut down first, right? As right, he says. Right. So he, he feigns weakness and oldness. So he doesn't stick his head up too high and get chopped down, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, and yeah, it's just great. It totally shows so, the personalities of all these guys. So the best part about this is that, you know, so the three knuckleheads all <laughs> sit down and in comes, in comes the powerhouses, right? So you have Cersei and Cersei does exactly what we expect Cersei to do. She picks up the fucking chair and she just very quietly mind you places it next to Tywin and yeah, sits she's, down she's like I'm not playing you know? these fucking games I'm sitting next to my dad <laughs> but it wasn't even like I mean it was like the chair was always there yeah exactly, I mean it was exactly. so quiet it, it was like oh that chair was definitely misplaced yep that's where it goes mm-hmm. you know um, and it also just like shows her like how she doesn't follow the rules you know she won't play like she she takes the chair and moves it she's like fuck your system I'm rearranging this the way I want it you know but she does it quietly everything she right. does is quiet, quiet she, super quiet ne- yeah. she's, uh, she never speaks above a like above a whisper yeah for the most part <laughs> you know I mm-hmm. mean and it's, it's just crazy even in the fact that she carries a chair to the other side of the table is is quiet it's you know she could do it without anybody noticing if ever Everybody wasn't looking at her, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have Tyrion and Tyrion is just he's so amused by what's happening. He, he has nothing but amusement on his face because he yeah. sees what what's going on. And he's just like, fuck this. He doesn't want to play with the game. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want to play he this too game. will not play. <laughs> and so he just like drags the chair very loudly because Tyrion's loud. Right. Yeah. And puts it at the other head of the table. Now, I saw that as him saying, yeah, me too. I'm on equal footing as you, Ty dad you know this was my job now it's your job but i read uh analysis saying that um they did that because it was Tyrion trying to stay as far away from his father as he possibly could while still being at the meeting and i thought that was interesting and it's also interesting too it foreshadows a face-off between the two of them as they're set up across from each other duncan you win that was awesome that was awesome. <laughs> Sorry. That was fantastic. Um, Victory is so, mine! So now everybody's finally seated. Ten minutes later, everybody's seated, right? <laughs> and I love it that, that Tyrion's the one that opens the meeting. He's like, love what you did here. You know, love what, what you've done with the place, Lovely table. <laughs> right, exactly. the, the funny thing, too, is he drags a chair, like, all the way around. <laughs> squeaking the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And then he hops up onto it and... Squeaks it one more little time. <laughs> that one, <laughs> that one little extra squeak is like what makes it. You know? I, uh, <laughs> I totally agree. So I funny. totally agree. So, what is Tywin's first? His first um, thought is Jamie. Where's Jamie? Anybody yep. know where Jamie is? Jamie, Jamie, what anybody? News of Jamie, Jamie. Jamie? <laughs> that reminds me of the Joker when he's like, "I just have one question for you. Where is Harvey Dent?" Anybody seen Harvey? You know where he is. You know who Harvey is. <laughs> and 20,000 unwashed northerners have known about his escape for weeks. Collectively, he controlled more spies and informants than the rest of the world combined. Not one person even looks in his eyes. <laughs> what? Not one person looks in his eyes. Oh, even, interesting. Even Cersei's looking at the ground. You know? 
It's Thursday. Well, Thursdays. yeah, it, uh, it, it you don't get this type of like thing from the from watching the show, but they repeatedly describe Tywin's eyes in the books as being like bright green with flecks of gold and mm-hmm. like just very intimidating. Um, so yeah, it makes sense. Nobody's looking at him except Tyrion, who doesn't give a fuck. So I wrote something down here. I said all three advisors have different agendas, and none of them include locating Jamie. Yeah, Littlefinger and Varys need the war to continue. Bringing Jamie back does nothing to progress this. It True. could be why Littlefinger didn't mention that he saw Arya, because her presence could have evened a trade between the Starks and the Lannisters, and that Brilliant. could have edged out Littlefinger's agenda, because that could have possibly ended a war or brokered a peace, and he needs them to be at odds with each other. So that's why he didn't mention it um, at Harrenhal, you mean? It's it's like a thought in the back of my head. Yeah, it's it, entirely it, possible. Right. So Varys needs the war to continue. And here's, if he is what he's saying, he's for the realm. If he is now trying to work for Daenerys' side by being on the small council and trying to get her here, he needs the war. This is all ifs, right? Mm -hmm. He needs the war to continue for his benefit because if he's waiting for Daenerys and the dragons, the war needs to continue until she's ready to cross into Westeros. Having having Jamie could start the process of things settling down. And if everybody's happy in Westeros and everything is, um, you know, working out between, you know, the seven kingdoms, then Daenerys coming with her dragons isn't really going to serve any purpose for the people. If he's for the people, right? right? And if he hears about Daenerys, who is supposed to be for the people, and she's already you know, trying to free people. I mean, I'm sure that if he has if he has spies, he's already heard about what happened in Karth, right? Um, yeah. You know, because what she did was pretty intense there. Um, and we and know that she, Jorah sent a message from Karth as well. Right. So now we have what's going on in Astapor, and he's going to find out very soon about Daenerys freeing Astapor. Right. Mm. Um, so that could be going along his agenda as well. Pycelle, I think, is just, you know, sitting there happy to be alive. Yeah, he's just happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that finding Jamie through the spy network that Tywin has created in these three, the three knuckleheads, um, it serves no one's secret purpose or agenda except right (laughs) right exactly except for the lannisters cersei is mad at jamie doesn't care to find him i think at this point it's a great point really good point i never even considered that whole angle it's really good point so anyways um it's just funny to see all of this kind of play out and how how the meeting kind of goes um you know we talked about earlier how Tyrion is now going to be master of coin. And Cersei's one line, she says, I have no doubts that you will prove equal to the challenge, meaning it is a failed challenge. It is a lost challenge. And her brother is a failed and lost man. Uh, So she, in my opinion, was throwing him major shade right there by saying, you're a fuck up. Take the fucked up books and go on with your fucked up ways. Damn, that's brutal. Well, she's brutal. She's the worst. I think we all know that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's just interesting because while Tywin is in ultimate power here, um, 
it seems that nobody's really working for him. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So, it's anyways, wild. that's... uh Oh, and the whole time, the entire time, Varys just looks charmed by everybody. He's laughing at whatever he's i don't know if you noticed this but him and Tyrion shared oh, yeah, a couple varies. a couple yeah uh, yeah varies and Tyrion, you know shared a couple of glances at each other like they were amused by something but he's looking at how people are sitting down and he's rolling his eyes and he's just smiling and you can see that he's just like oh my gosh everybody's a fucking idiot he always has <laughs> these great um these great expressions and reactions he's one of the few characters that like no matter what's what's happening he'll always be like <sighs> like giving some reaction to it you, you can know? always <laughs> count on varies for yeah absolutely yeah, like when like his... when baelish is named lord of Hall and he's like what the fuck <laughs> oh, i thought he was gonna vomit right there in, yeah in the room so funny so yeah his amusement during the entire scene i i thought was really great and he had a couple really good lines in there too but anyways that's my number two was just the brilliance from start to finish on that small council yeah meeting. really good scene lots of uh hidden meanings and like symbol symbolism for things that are you know shown but not stated and yeah it's yes. really really good scene that's where Game of Thrones is really strong with, with these type of scenes with all sorts of layers of meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. Love it. For you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So we've been kind of pumping up audio f uh, Audible for a while, and um, I think... Even before we were affiliated with them, just because I really like them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how a lot of people read their books now, you know. Um, Definitely. You know, they, they don't read, they listen, and I think that listeners of podcasts are more inclined to listen to their books anyways, so it's a nice little marriage. Yeah, definitely. So right now, uh, I just uh, got the boy... Boy on the Bridge by M.R. Carey. It is the prequel to the book Girl with All the Gifts. Um, if you have ever read that book, it's a really good book. I would recommend Girl with All the Gifts. Um, Kabasi interviewed the author on uh, Walking Dead cast, right? Yes, I would look for that as well. It's also uh, been made into a movie. No way. Uh, it was made into a movie. Glenn Close was uh, one of the roles in it. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to uh, watch the movie. It does deviate from the book quite a bit. It's like sort of a zombie thing with a spin, right? Yes, yes. Set in England, so... That's kind of cool, but it's it's awesome. Um, it hooks you right in, and the story's fantastic, very original, um, especially for a zombie story. Uh, so either Girl with All the Gifts or uh, Boy on the Bridge. Uh, so that's my new book right now for the book club that I'm currently in right now. And we're uh, half of us are listening to it on Audible and the other half is reading it. So nice. if you'd like to check out one of those books or even the Game of Thrones series uh, narrated by Roy Dotrice, uh, just Roy. go to www.audibletrial.com slash G-O-M for your free audiobook. Thanks, Audible. Thanks. What's your number one? Uh, my number one is a small one, actually. It's just Talisa messing with future Tom and, and bro. Uh, oh, which is cool. Funny. So we get the little scene with Martin and, um, what are they, what's the other, the two Lannister 
the, the, the cousins, brothers, nephews, sons, wives, children's grandsons. The <laughs> very <laughs> important prisoners. Yeah, Hen- Her- Henry and Martin Lannister or something. But it's funny. It's kind of funny because um, it's our first uh, meeting of Dean, Char- Dean Charles Chapman, who ends up playing Tommen um, in a couple mm-hmm. seasons. So it's. I think he's the only character on this show that we get to see his actual face playing two different characters. Which is weird that they would do that. Yeah, it's so weird. With the fans and how crazy they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we have the, the guy who played the mountain in, in season two at Hall. He ends up playing giants on the show. Like, he, he plays a few of the giants. And, like, he's played multiple characters, but they all have different faces. Dean Charles Chapman, like, you get to see his face on a couple different characters, which is really weird, like we said. Yeah. Um, so, it's so funny. They're sitting in there in the little cell... You're Rob Stark's wife. Hold still. <laughs> Is it true what they say about him? Oh, yeah. I don't know. What do they say about him? That he can turn into a wolf at night? True. <laughs> <laughs> that he eats the flesh of his enemies? <laughs> true. <laughs> You're Lannister, aren't you? Martin Lannister, Martin Lannister, you've nothing to fear. My husband doesn't eat children. Unless it's a full moon. <laughs> it's not a full moon tonight, is it? <laughs> See? Nothing to fear. And they're just like, <gasps> So funny. She's like spreading war propaganda. Because they, they're I assuming that it. these little kids are going to let go or traded for at some point. And they're going to be off... Um, Back with the other camps, you know, spreading the word of this inhuman beast wolf king that eats the flesh of his enemies and, and turns <laughs> into a wolf himself at night. And that that line is interesting because this may elude to the concept that Rob may be having wolf dreams. Mm-hmm. Much as Bran turns into to summer at night and lives through summer's skin. I think this may be a hint that there are rumors that Rob is a warg. And if people may not understand what warging is, they may think that he literally transforms when, in fact, he is just embodying his wolf um, via this mental connection. So I think that this it's possible that this is a hint that there are other wargs besides Bran in the Stark family. There was a big theory over over like the year after Jon Snow was killed uh, by the watch that the reason why he could have lived is because maybe he warged into ghost. I remember that was a huge theory. How cool would it be if it did turn out that there were some other Starks that were capable of warging? I'm hoping that we get to see like John warg into ghost at like a critical moment in season eight or something like that. Just totally out of the blue. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, it'd be so cool. Yeah, John and Arya wargs into their own wolves. Yeah. And then fights. That would be next level. I'm telling you, you and I, we're going to write f- fan fiction and <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> they should hire us for like writing on the new series. Yes. That'd be cool. HBO, <laughs> hit us up, bro. Um, so yeah, this, this could totally hint that there are, you know, potentially other wargs in the Stark family, which is really cool. Maybe Rob had that capability. Too bad we never really find anything out about it. But I think that this is not just a throwaway line, you know? I would agree with you, yes. Um, so, yeah, that that pretty much wraps up that point. I just thought it was such a funny little scene. Like, I never have these short little points like that, but this is just such a cool little funny scene that I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, I agree. 
<laughs> my number one is actually like super long. Awesome. So it's not really super long, but it's longer than usual. Nice. Um, it's because I found this fun little theme of uh, of the episode. Oh, cool. And it is patience. Uh, you know, in the very in the very beginning of the of the episode, we get the blackfish talking about uh, Rob not having patience and um, Ed, Edmir not having patience. And so, I I saw through the as I'm doing my notes through the whole episode, I am writing down the word patience like throughout the entire episode. So I start circling it right throughout all my notes. And I, I come up with, there's six instances, and I'm sure as we talk, we'll find more, mm-hmm. where there's these, the characters or the scenes, they've either lost patience or they've um, excelled at having patience. So the first one is Blackfish. Uh, the Blackfish says that patient, patience twice in the opening scene. Even before all that, while, he loses patience with Edmure trying to shoot the bow to the See, uh, and I thing. said, all while, all while having none for Edmure's oh. incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's so funny. So I'm glad we're on the same wavelength there. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Who would have patience with Edmure? I mean, the guy was a wank from Flopping the very Flopping around beginning. all over the place, you know. Mm idiot um the second one was mance raider he sees uh he's they come up on the fist and he sees the symbolic carnage at the fist and that the men are gone the horses are there they're in the spiral uh and and you know what those men are now and well he says always the artist he's always the artist and i thought wow he has like this intimate relationship with the night king right which probably had like a lot of patience with what this guy was doing to his people over the years right and it's something that happens at the fist he sees that the watch, uh, the the crows, the dead crows are gone. The horses are in this spiral. He's looking around and he's seeing that he's had it. He has lost his patience for this Night King. He's lost it, this patience for the artistic, you know, um, uh, the artistic license that he has taken. Uh, and he's had it. He's done. He, he grabs Tormund and he's like, Take 20 men, throw this guy over the edge if he doesn't do what you want him to do, and let's do this. He's done. And Tormund's face when he says that is like, he looks like like an excited puppy who's just been told like that there's a treat. He's like, really? Finally? But he says, we're going to war, old friend, and Mance never we're says war, we're going friend, to war. He friend, never finally. confirms it. Interesting. Well, he's, I mean, he sort of does. He says, you know, that they've got a big old wall to hide behind, but it only guards one side. When you get over there, I give the signal and we hit him in the night. Right. But I don't, I, but the, I, so I think So he doesn't the, use the term war, right, but he basically but I think says the point is, is he doesn't want to go to war with them. He just wants to save his people. Right. And maybe if John's with them and they cross, maybe they'll, you know, maybe there'll be some type of deal reached or right. something. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, I it's think entirely possible. Correct. So um, his yeah, so his patience for waiting ends. He's ready to make his move. He's ready to save his people. He's had enough of this guy. To, you know, his army is his army's building. Um, yeah. And then we move over. So we and we didn't even talk about that. And then we move over to another subject we haven't talked about is Stannis. Ooh, before we do that, oh, real yeah, quick, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. got one thing to mention about this scene. Um, so he tells him to climb the wall. Um, they mentions that they've got a big old wall to hide behind, but it only guards one side. 
And I just thought this um, is something important to mention because it's a huge strategic disadvantage for the wild for the uh, the Night's Watch at this point. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's not a, a design flaw; it's actually an intentional design of the of the uh, of Castle Black. After in, in Night's Watch history, there was I think the thirteenth Lord Commander had rebelled against the king, right? So the when they designed Castle Black, they they built they built no southern defensive wall to ensure that the Lord Commander would never rebel against the king again, so that the king could always ride north to Castle Black without inter- being interfered with, essentially. So it's to, it's uh, essentially to ensure the the, uh, the continued cooperation of the Night's Watch with the uh, the kings, which is pretty cool. That's great intel by Mance, too. Yeah, good thing. To, yeah, yeah, he knows. Um, and he says, like uh, like he says, take John with you. John knows more about their defenses than you do. He'll be an asset. But you like like you just said, Mance knows just as much as John. So mm-hmm. he's an important strategic uh, person for the wildlings to but have. As, absolutely. Yeah, but as we learn later, John knows which um, which outposts are not being guarded because of their lack of uh, men. Oh, men. Yeah. Right. So he knows which part of the wall to go over. Yeah, um, another little thing to entice you guys to check out the books is they're they're also in dire need of men in the books, and when the Battle of Blackwater comes, they basically set up a bunch of scarecrows in in the windows on the on the on the wall. Um, you mean the battle to, the battle of the wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The battle at uh, Castle Black. Black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did I say? You said Blackwater. Blackwater. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so when when the battle at Castle Black occurs, they basically set up a bunch of guys in the castle windows that are scarecrows, just to make it look like they have more men, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Smart. <laughs> it's, it's, that's desperate, man. That's yeah. desperate. Well, you know, uh, when you have the Lannisters, yeah, <laughs> nothing's ever gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So um, what's your next example? So the next one is Stannis, and Stannis is—he's already not a patient man. But when he sees Melisandre is about to leave him, he loses his shit. <laughs> you know, he, he wants to make another... He wants to have sex with her again. He wants all of his enemies dead. He's like, make a shadow baby with me. I just want to kill everybody. I just want to be on the Iron Throne. Why do you have to go? I don't understand. This is ridiculous. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Um, You know, he's just having like, I don't know, crisis of conscience or something, but... He has, he's lost his patience with the Lord of Light. He's lost his patience with Melisandre. Um, So he wants everything to happen quickly and right now. And it's taking too long for him. Um, You know, and you feel that kind of desperation in his voice. The rush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I cannot. Why? You don't have the strength that would kill you. Mm -hmm. I'm not so easily killed. (laughs) Men have been trying for years. And then he has this moment. I want you. Right? Like... It's like a rare moment of passion for Stannis where like people uh, people talk about Stannis as like being so rigid and unemotional and like how like he doesn't have any heirs because like it's probably a struggle just to get him in bed with a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so this moment for Stannis where he's like, I want you and like grabs her and like has his like head like resting against her and like he's like whispering into her ear like i bet nobody in the seven kingdoms would believe this ever happened if you right, told them right they'd be like no you're wrong no that's not standard she's not talking about renly <laughs> yeah, yeah or somebody else anybody else <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so funny um so number the fires burn low my king <laughs> <laughs> yes that, well that's true um <laughs> So the next one is Daenerys, and she Daenerys shows her patience in this episode. She shows her patience by 
you know, not revealing that she knows the language that's being spoken, that she's mm-hmm. taking the, the, um, the demeaning way that Krasnus is talking to her and, and she's showing patience with, you know, her two, uh, advisors that are pissing her off. And, um, you know, she's about to never give, give away your strategic advantage, never give away your strategic advantage. Well, and she's yeah. And, and she never does. I mean, she's yeah. about to give over a dragon and everybody thinks that she's insane. And yeah, the way that she like doesn't reveal that she has the edge and knows what he's talking about sort of reminds me of how I lurked in the darkness and with my patience and waited for the home invader to come to me before I struck. Right. There you, <laughs> you go. Know? Never reveal, never give up your strategic advantage. <laughs> Ever. Ever. That's a story I need to hear. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the next one is Ramsey. And right now we don't know him as Ramsey, but we do. Um, and we learn a lot about Ramsey in this episode and the fact that he has, um, this long con kind of personality. He likes the hunt. He likes to sit back and he likes to wait for his prey to get confident or to get a little, uh, steam going. And then he goes in for the kill. Uh, you know, he even, he toys with with Theon, he releases him and then has uh, makes him feel like he's free. And then he sets everybody, uh, the the men on him, and they're about to rape him. And he seems like he's a wounded bird again. And then Ramsay saves him, and he's gonna bring him back now. Only and there's that great moment when the guy that he shoots with the him arrow, a you little bastard, awesome, huge hint. <laughs> yeah, but then you know, and and he's so kind to Theon, and then you know we learn later he's gonna end up right back on that flayed man post, right? Yep. He plays with them, he toys with them, and he you know makes him feel comfortable, and then takes it all away, and and that is a sadistic patience that is super sadistic, just wrong, and on and the look, like the look on his face as they're like escaping, and Theon is like in pain, and Ramsay looks like he's in pain, like just witnessing Theon's pain. It's so twisted, oh, and I, I have written down I in agree. my notes that. Pod got to have sex with a bunch of girls. Theon almost gets to have sex with a bunch of guys. And same with Brienne. Yeah, same with Brienne. <laughs> it's, it's, a real, uh, it's a real nail-biter of an episode. So I just thought of something kind of cool. The uh, the scene in the beginning with Edmure and the Blackfish firing the, the fire arrows at the um, at the boat at Hoster Tully's funeral combined with Ramsay's hunt scene sort of it's sort of a stretch but it sort of uh, foreshadows the the scene where Ramsay launches the arrows at Rickon as he's running through the field that sort of is similar to the way they're trying to hit the boat as it's going off around the bend further and further into the distance right as John's about to save Rickon he's getting so far away from Ramsay he gets him and then um, yeah just combined with Ramsay's hunting practices in general it's not like an, an overt foreshadowing, but I think those two elements sort of combine in that Rickon scene in the future in uh, season six, I believe it is. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and then lastly, <laughs> and then lastly was uh, Rob's, butter. Yes, was Rob's <laughs> lack of patience with Edmure and the weakened position that Edmure's lack of patience with his desire for glory <laughs> yeah. has put the Northern Army in, right? So mm-hmm. Edmure didn't have the patience to follow through with what 
he was being told to do by his king. And then everybody kind of loses it with Edmure because he's an idiot. Um, you know, we see Rob really and truly angry at this point. Um, we see who the blackfish is, which is kind of awesome, you know, yeah. and it's all surrounded by this whole theme of of patience, right? Who has it? Who doesn't? How does it weaken you? How does it strengthen you? How are you going to use it? How are you not going to use it? And I just thought that that was really interesting. Just um, this running theme throughout the entire episode. So definitely good. Good one. Thanks. Patience everywhere. Lack of patience, patience. So have cool. a little patience. Pod must have been pretty patient with those women. Um, Tyrion and Bronn were not patient when they wanted to find <laughs> out the techniques. <laughs> um, oh, what was I going to say? What were we just talking about? Oh, so I had, I had another question about um, that whole Ramsey thing. When he saves Theon from being raped... Um, I could just I could hear squeal like a piggy boy, you know. Um, but he says he finally saves him and says, "Come, my lord, you're a long way from home, and winter is coming." I wondered why he said winter is coming. There, he used the Stark words. Is he trying to make Theon think that he's like a, a Stark loyalist who is sympathetic to Theon's plight? And why would Theon think that any Stark loyalist would be sympathetic to his plight at this point? So I'm just thinking this doesn't make any sense, which is a clue to us that it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's all it's, it's all a show. It's not going to make any sense. Yeah, so that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, let's see. You got any other uh, any other notes you want to talk about? No, actually, I uh, I got it all with the patience thing. How about you? Oh, I like how the uh, we get the 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 beginning of the Baelish Lysa story arc in this episode as as uh, they say that a successful courtship with Lord Baelish would make him acting Lord of the Vale, which would be strategically important for them. And battle so of I the like bastards. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, you, you know what? We didn't uh, go over the fact that. Um, that Arya and right, Gendry just said there too. goodbye to Hapai. Yeah. Yeah, Arya is uh, now pie, a captive. Pie, sadly. Hot pie into battle. <laughs> 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 I love that. Arya's like, Winterfell, charge! And he's like, hot pie! Hot pie, hot pie, hot pie, hot pie! I fight for the pies! <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> so um, they're being taken away. Uh, now they're prisoners because they know who Arya is. He says that she's not their prisoner, but she is, you know. They need to ransom her. I liked how hot pie, hot pie stays, and he's... Uh, oh, they... Um, the, the hound is there, and they're putting him into the the little uh, transport vehicle and he smacks his head <laughs> and Anga's like oh watch your head you know like, like afterwards <laughs> doesn't do anything to help him actually watch his head I love that yeah so funny and then um uh <laughs> Popeye says that he's staying and Arya's surprised and he's like you know I'm you know I made her some some brown bread and she liked it and uh so I'm gonna stay and like make some more bread because that's what I do you know, which was, that was pretty cool. And she, he gives her a, uh, a piece of bread that's shaped like a wolf, but it's not a very good wolf. So they're like, what is it? I totally <laughs> saw that it was a wolf. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, good. <laughs> it's so funny so though. Bad for She's Hot like, uh, that's the tale. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, they definitely want us to feel bad for him. And uh, they have a funny little exchange where he's like, "Don't get stabbed," you know. And and Gendry's like, "Don't uh, burn your fingers." I, I like I like <laughs> that, that. You know, it was like it was the most awkward goodbye ever. Like yeah. he just taps his shoulder. <laughs> Like yeah, he totally later, steps forward so Sheldon awkwardly. Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Shelly Cooper there. is a smelly pooper. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so then I liked when when they're riding off and Arya is actually like, "Hey, hot pie!" And he's like, "Huh? It's really good, you know." So he does get like a thumbs up in the end for his bread, which is good. Yeah. Uh, and I love how this actor actually has a real um, bakery now, which is like hot pie themed. Game of Thrones themed, and he sells like these little direwolf breads and stuff like that. I think that's wonderful. I can't remember what it's called. Um, otherwise, I'd mention it right now just to. I think give we it a had it out, in our news one week. Yeah, we totally did. I'll look it up while I'm doing editing and throw the name in there. Oh, cool. Um, then we have the scene where Cat is talking with Blackfish, which is pretty cool, and she's that was a lamenting. beautiful scene. Yeah, very sad as uh, they're you know he's discussing how. He how the Blackfish had made amends with Hoster Tully at the end, and they had sort of been divided for years. Um, he's the Blackfish, like the black sheep of the family of the of the House Tully, which is the, the trout, right? So he's the Blackfish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how he got that name, or how this divide he began? He refused to marry somebody. Who was it? He refused to marry uh, House Selwyn, I think it was. Mm, and interesting. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly who, and but it's because that, he's gay, right? Oh, is it? I, I thought so, that was yeah. because he refused to to marry uh, the lady or uh, one of the daughters of of House Selwyn, and so his brother had, uh, you know, said that it brought shame or something like that, and so he said that he was like the black sheep of House Tully, which yeah. made him the black fish. Yep. Yeah. So I think that the reason he refused the marriage was because he's gay, um, or at least there's speculation of it. I just thought that was an interesting little element that they don't explicitly spell out, but it shows you that, you know, this type of conflict is occurring in this world as well. And uh, I'm glad that they finally made amends. Although it's funny, he says, he asked me to stop calling myself Blackfish. He said it was an old joke and it was never funny to begin with. I told him people had been calling me Blackfish for so long, they don't even remember my real name. You Uh, you know know what? I had to look it up because I was like, oh my gosh, she's totally right. (laughs) What, me? No, I I was thinking during that scene, I said, oh my gosh, she's totally right. I had to look it up. Look what up? His name. Oh. Brendan Tully. Brendan Tully. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh. That's true. <laughs> okay, he's I, right, because you didn't remember his name. I only know him as Blackfish. I got you. What I got the you. hell is his name? <laughs> okay, I was a little slow on the uptake That's there. Okay. Now I understand. <laughs> You're picking up what That's I'm putting funny, up. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lift it up, and you lift it up, and I put it down, and lift it up again, and you put it down, and we work together in tandem. It's amazing. I want um, to pump you up. <laughs> Hans and Franz. <laughs> I want to pump you up. You up. Those guys are awesome. Yes. Uh, um... So that was pretty good scene. And then Kat laments about every time that her father would leave for the capital or go to fight in a campaign, she'd see him off and he'd say, wait for me, little cat. Wait for me and I'll come back to you. And she'd sit at the window every day when the oh, sun came up waiting. my heart. Now she's saying, she, she's wondering how many times Bran and Rickon stared across the moors of Winterfell waiting for her to return. 
and she breaks down, I'll never see them again. Nope. You know, freaks out for a second there. Yep, you never will see them again, sadly. Um, and the blackfish, ever uh, the elder brother, is com- comforting to her and her uh, uncle. Um, yeah, not her brother. Her brother's know, steps useless. Up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> steps up and comforts her. And I like his armor. He looks cool, man. Uh, I want him on my side. Yeah, and and he says to her, you know, Rob believes they're alive. You know, they could be in hiding. He must go on believing. He's got to remain strong if he's to prevail. And you must remain strong for him. So I thought that was a good line because it's something that, you know, people do. They'll suck up their own feelings and uh, and put on that, that display of strength just to keep the people around them strong. I know I've done it before, mm. so it's it's a good uh, a good thing to do. Um, we never talked about Craster's keep. Ew. So, uh, but Gilly we, had her baby. Yeah, and sadly, it's a boy. <laughs> so Sam sees ghost loping in the distance, and interesting, he's not with John. So that's not necessarily a good sign, uh, especially since John never returned. So Sam, that probably made Sam a little worried. But it is cool that Ghost knows he doesn't need to worry about John, so he's keeping an eye on Sam. <laughs> that's true he knows he knows where he needs to uh to use his resources <laughs> yeah um it's like dude you're a hot mess i'm just gonna stick yeah. with you make sure you don't die yep <laughs> so they the the crows arrive at craster's keep and um i'm like craster because i just saw this actor on on the, the history channel show uh nightfall with a k like armored knights right. nightfall it's a great show he plays the grand master templar of all of france jacques de molay um, and just as an interesting tidbit, when the King Philip IV of France demolished the Templar Order, and he tortured Jack de Molay for seven years, and then um, burned him at the stake. And as he was dying, he cursed the Pope and the the King of France, um, and both died within a year mysteriously. Just interesting little oh. tidbit of history there. But yeah, imagine that being tortured for seven years. He's actually a, no. a really likable character. On, uh, he's, he's less despicable. <laughs> he's less despicable on Nightfall, which is cool. So if you guys want to check that show out, I highly recommend it. It's a really good show. It's like Game of Thrones, sort of with a Da Vinci Code twist. I love that. Yeah. So um, Craster, you know, he's like, he's like, what are we? What are we here? Frozen crows. And uh, you know, Mormont's like, we've come a long way. It's a smaller flock than you went north with. So we can talk inside, you know. Oh, can we? <laughs> and at that moment, it, it, it this it's silence, and Craster's looking over the group of the crows, and Gren is looking real mean at that moment. He's got this look like just, just, just tell just us no, just do it, give you know, me, just do give it, me Craster. A give me a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make my day, you know. And then it cuts to um, the psychopath that we're gonna get to see more of. Um, in, in the coming episodes, the guy who actually uh, kills Mormont, I believe. In the next Carl episode. Carl Tanner. Yeah, that asshole. Who, and he's and he and he's looking psycho. He grips on his on his blade on the hilt of his blade at his waistline, and Craster must realize, oh, they're not playing around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell he starts to look nervous, so he lets him in. And uh, some uh, <laughs> there's some interesting stuff. That guy is complaining. He's like, you know, you you feed that. I bet you pe- feed that pig better than you feed us. And Crash is like, aye, that pig's got value to me, <laughs> which is funny. You should be kissing my feet just for letting you in, you know. Um, and he mentions the white cold, 
When the white cold comes, your swords and cloaks and bloody fires won't help you. I just thought it was, everybody has a name for it. Yeah, the white cold. They, it's, it's, yeah, they seem to describe it as when the, you know, when the white walkers come, the cold comes too. It's like a cold so thick that it like fills the air. It's brutal. Like the grasslands. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghost grass. So, ghost grass, great uh, parallel. So he, um, so uh, he's, you can hear Gilly like wailing in the background as she's delivering young Sam. And he says, go tell her she can bite down on a rag or she can bite down on my fist. <laughs> There's like a brutal line and Sam is like, like kind of reacts to that. And he's, he, yeah, he, he suggests they should Gilly. be eating he Sam. He had to have, right? Yeah, he some sixth sense kicks in, and as they start to criticize Sam for being fat, suggesting cannibalism, uh, he goes out to explore and sees Gilly giving birth, and it's an intense scene because um, we know what happens to the male babies after we saw what Craster did with the little boy. Yeah, and um, so she's giving birth, and there, there's a bunch of women, her, um, you know, helping her out, and. And uh, I see the head push, you know, that's it. You're nearly there. One more push to do it. And Gilly says, what is it? What is it? And we see that it's a boy. And that's the last. We don't get any more lines from that scene. But, you know, it's not good that that's a boy. Um, so that's fucked. It's not good if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah. If it's yeah, a girl, they're, they're, that girl is going to go into the same life that they've had. Yeah. A life of torment either way because the boys aren't killed but they're you know taken over their minds are well they don't uh, know what happens to the boys they think the boys get killed but yeah, that's well, what you they, say yeah, what know, is it yeah. what what is the better reality is it to go away and be killed or is it, or or is it to live in craster's keep right yeah either way horrible mm-hmm but at least if it's a girl, she could she could have her girl with her and love her child and at least comfort the child. Um, whereas the boy would just be tossed to the White Walkers, mm. which is fucking crazy. Um, then uh, when Theon's being rescued, I've written down, uh, he says, uh, um, Ramsay says, follow the rising sun. Your sister's waiting for you. And Theon says, I'll make you a lord of the Iron Islands for this. And I just have, he is living in a fantasy land. I know. <laughs> he's not making anybody lord of the Iron Islands. He's going to get back and he's going to be <laughs> tortured by his father, too. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Poor Theon. Poor Theon. Um, kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much wraps up my notes. Got anything else you want to mention? No, that's pretty much... That's pretty much it. Excited for next week. Definitely. All right. We'll be right back, guys. Stay with us. There's more to come. Alright, we are back with some news. Take it away, Lady K. Thanks, Dunk. <laughs> so this article is from Watchers on the Wall, and it is titled Game of Thrones wins two Golden Reel Awards for sound editing. Game of yeah. Thrones won two Golden Reel Awards for sound editing. Unsurprisingly, both awards were for the spoils of war. That's the loot train battle. Hell yeah. The jaw-dropping episode won Outstanding Achievement in Sound Editing, Episodic Short Form, Effect, and Folly. Foley. Um, 
Just Those are the names. Foley artists are are what they call. That's like the technical name for the position of uh, special effects sound designers. So they I can take it. like coconuts, like in uh, like Monty Python, and go to make it sound like you're riding a horse, or like warping a piece of metal to sound like thunder. Um, Foley art is amazing. Oh, I love it. I would it. love to, to... We should try to get an interview with like the Foley artist from Game of Thrones or something. That would be so Ooh, that cool, That would be man. super fun. We might be able to get in with something like that, like trying to get a hold of the Foley artists or something, you know? Well, it's Jeff Wilhoit and Dylan Twomey Wilhoit. That's oh, so they, cool. I guess they're brothers. Maybe in the wake um, of their win, they'd be interested in doing an interview about it. That'd be, oh, that'd be cool. that would be super fun. Yeah, we'll have to try. So, the award was shared by supervising sound editor Tim Kimmel, sound designer Paula Fairfield, sound effects editor Bradley Katona, Foley editors Brett Voss and John Matter, and Foley artists Jeff Wilhoit and Dylan Twomey Wilhoit. The Spoils of War also won Outstanding Achievement in Sound Editing, Episodic Short Form, Dialogue, and ADR, which was shared by supervising sound editor Tim Kimmel, supervising dialogue editor Paul Berkovich, and supervising ADR editor Tim Hands. Game of Thrones won all the awards for which it was nominated, two <laughs> out of two. Woohoo! <laughs> Woo! But it's worth noting that the majority of the winners in television categories are Netflix originals. Godless, Ozark, Black Mirror, The Get Down, and Stranger Things all took home gold. Mayhaps this indicates something about the future of television? I will tell you exactly what it indicates for the future of television right now. So, the way that cable works and the way that um, you know major networks tend to work is they are beholden to sponsors. They'll have pharmaceutical companies that pay for ads. They'll have whatever, any, any type of ad you'd see on TV. So, they're sort of beholden to, um, to, to, to these companies that, that won't, they'll revoke their sponsorships if they have, you know, if they put, put out material that they don't 100% agree with. With Netflix, it's all, it's all viewer-sponsored through subscriptions, right? So they have content freedom, which makes sense that these the, the, the companies that have more freedom with their productions, that have more creative license, like HBO, which is a subscription network, Netflix, which is a subscription network, it makes sense that companies with more creative freedom win more awards. That actually does make sense. Right? Well, it's, it's less expensive. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I think that it's a great trend, and I'm um, looking forward to um, seeing this type of thing more. It's like it's like um, like a lot of podcasts, you know, are sponsored by Patreon funding and stuff like that, and uh, mm -hmm. you know they're beholden to nobody, which is good. I mean, only the, the listeners, you know. <laughs> nobody owns me, bitches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our next <laughs> item is from Watchers on the Wall. Game of Thrones and Liam Cunningham take home Irish Film and Drama Awards. Woo-woo! Yeah, awards season continues, and so does Game of Thrones' streak of taking home accolades. This time, it's a win from the Irish Film and Drama Awards for the series and over overall for everyone's favorite Onion Knight, Liam Cunningham. Yay. Thrones took home top honors as Best Drama Series, while Cunningham, Davos Seaworth, earned Best Actor in a Supporting Role for his work on Season 7. And that's for specifically for Drama Series. Was it his This Is Jon Snow line that clinched the award? <laughs> we'll never <laughs> the know. best line. <laughs> yeah. This is Daenerys Stormborn, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. This is Jon Snow. 
<laughs> so classic. He's king in the north. This one goes to 11. <laughs> He's king in the north, yeah. <laughs> we may never know, but I'll speculate that that was a deciding factor. Other Thrones-related nominations include Aidan Gillen, Littlefinger, for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, again for drama. Tough competition for Peter Baelish to go against Davos Seaworth. Ronan Hill, brother to Conleth Hill, a.k.a. Varys, um, for sound, and Ed Bruce and Nicholas Murphy for visual effects. In addition, Richard Dormer, Beric Dondarrion, earned a nomination for Best Actor in a Drama for the BBC series Relic. Awards season isn't over yet, so stay tuned to see if any of our other favorites take home some well-deserved honors. So this next article, I can tell you right now that I completely disagree with it before I even read it. But I'm going to read it. Cool. Even though I disagree with it. So this article is from Metro UK and it's called Game of Thrones fans think Beyond the Wall was the worst thing about the show. Ah, oh, I can, I can, I also disagree and can debunk this, this uh, point of view as well. So cool. Okay. You want me to read it? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, you can't please everyone, and an especially tricky bunch to keep happy are the many warring factions within a specific fandom. But it seems that the worldwide community of Throners can get behind one thing, which is their dislike for Episode 6 and Series 7, except for the people that are talking to you. <laughs> That's right, Beyond the Wall appears to be the biggest turnoff for fans of all things Westeros and Whites. Really? More than uh, the Dorne plotline? I guess so. And it was voted in a recent poll conducted by Fansided as the worst moment in Game of Thrones' latest run. Having sparked well, a lot of discussion... people also said that Galileo was insane and put him, in, you know, put him on house arrest for a while, so... Uh, people still Consensus think the world is Consensus does, does not reflect accuracy. Uh. <laughs> Having sparked a lot of discussion when it first aired and, well, ever <laughs> since, the episode appears to have gone down a pretty badly in terms of the seventh series as a whole. There were many upsides to the latest series. HBO gave us a ton of amazing set pieces and the story was suitably gripping, but a lot of fans agreed that the sixth episode in the run of seven was Game of Thrones at its weakest. I disagree. Totally. Asked what peeved them the most across the series, options that devotees of the show could choose from went from the Sand Snakes to Euron Greyjoy's fast travel ability. I've talked about this endlessly. We don't, this is not like something where something happens immediately after something. There are giant gaps in time. Things are shown out of order. Like, we don't have a lot of cast right now, too. Like yeah. the cast is coming together and it's, you know, events are unfolding the way that they're probably supposed to. And in a fantasy, a fantasy show, why is it that we're stuck on this? Yeah, uh, but uh, but aside from the fact that it's a fantasy show where, where we should, um, you know, suspend our, you know, we should uh, inactivate our suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that there's any reason for suspension of disbelief here because I think that the timelines actually do line up on all accounts, I, and I can well, I give my reasons. I think that a lot of what's happening is meanwhile, 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 meanwhile. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. But it seems Beyond the Wall had too many questionable decisions in it, from Gendry's ridiculously fast run back to the wall. We don't know how long that, that war was, people. We don't know how long that battle was. To the short time it took a raven to get to Dan Daenerys so that she could ride her dragon, beyond the wall and save everyone. This is also an assumption. We never saw her receive yes. the raven. I think that Gendry arrived back at the wall. They sent a raven. By that point, Daenerys was already on the way um, because she had a bad Dana feeling. 
Yeah. I don't think that her showing up was a result of that raven at all. I think that Gendry's run was entirely pointless when it like when it really comes down to it. <laughs> Sadly for him. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it though. I like yeah. it. Oh, yeah, I it love was, all the uh, Olympic memes with the javelin. <laughs> oh and, my god. And, <laughs> and the, the, the torch running and everything. Oh my god. Uh, so made funny. that episode a little easier too because that episode was a really hard one. Harrowing. And people may hate it because Viserion died. You know what I mean? Yeah. That but, may be the reason why people hate it so much and I can get behind that because I can't watch that episode again I love that episode I think it's epic but mm-hmm. the fact that a dragon goes down I cannot bring myself to watch it again I still <laughs> have it when we get to that episode in our rewatch I'm just warning you right now it's it's gonna be the the second time that I've seen it I can I have not been able to revisit that episode you can you can skip it if you want I mean like I'm no, not gonna force I'm you to going watch, to watch it. it because I'm <laughs> devoted okay <laughs> you're a devotee I am a devotee <laughs> nice um, but yeah I would love to I could I could sit down with anybody and have a conversation about this episode and I am 99.9% confident that I could fully debunk most of these criticisms hmm explain that uh it's largely assumptions that are resulting in these criticisms that you're making conclusions based on evidence that you can't prove like the fact that the the, that daenerys waited to get the raven and then then flew to arrive and that all took place over one night as the night's watch or as the, the east watch seven were waiting on this little island i don't believe it i think that she was already on the way days weeks in advance i also think that as a as a show becomes more popular and we're seeing it with a lot of shows like walking dead and game of thrones um is that as a show becomes more popular is the hater the haters come out right Mm -hmm. and they want all they want to do is troll something and they just want to poke holes and stuff and just make everybody else as miserable as they are (laughs) and i think that this is just one of those examples and with the like the um quickening pace and the lack of uh like source material things are just like happening faster and they can't show everything you know so they can't show the scene where Daenerys is like ah you know I just have a bad feeling we, we need to go they just showed her going you know yeah but why do we need to see that at this point why yeah, we don't. you know war is fast war is messy we know that right yeah. you know so however it happens did you did you like the season because i did <laughs> yeah. yeah i liked every part of it i liked it and I, if they only have seven episodes to show us everything that they want to show us i trust i trust these showrunners like there has to be some trust with the showrunners for us as fans yeah. if you don't trust your showrunners then stop watching the show yeah definitely um or at least don't be so critical yeah um, publicly yeah <laughs> yeah public. <laughs> i mean you have freedom to do whatever you want but we can disagree uh mm-hmm. which i do i really think that everything lines up here for the most part i would agree with you 100 uh, percent. yeah i thought season seven was one of the strongest seasons that they've had oh man so much good stuff so anyways do you want to go on to our featured story this this week we did not do a art an archetype this this week i asked duncan if we can do something different so if you hate it direct your hate mail to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> he said yeah uh yeah so this week we have a featured story of the week and it's also from watchers of the wall but this is about the the uh, relationship between gray worm and Missandei, and it's called love fear and humanity the battle the, the ballad of gray worm <laughs> and Missandei. 
by Petra. When you step back and take in Game of Thrones' cast of thousands, you can really appreciate how exceptional Grey Worm and Masende are. It's not that they're one of the few couples to have survived this long, though holy moly, the mortality rate for romance is high on this show, <laughs> but rather because their shared re- relational arc touches on some of Game of Thrones' bleakest concepts, yet actually offers a hopeful outlook. Oh, that's such a great point. In most storylines... Faith in something as quaint as romance is one of the first casualties of a character's disillusionment. Sansa regrets her infatuation with Joffrey, Jon loses a grit several times over, Daenerys euthanizes Drogo, Tyrion strangles Shay, and Rob and Talisa pay dearly for following their hearts. One way or another, these couples are torn apart and the survivors rebuild themselves with reorganized priorities. Grey Worm and Masende, by contrast, have already endured a lifetime of abuse by the time they meet, and the bond they form is what helps them heal and move forward. It's important to note that, unlike characters like the Stark children, for example, we never got to know Grey Worm and Masende before their trauma. They themselves have little or to no memory of life before enslavement. This sets their arc apart from most others as their story isn't about building themselves back up, but rather discovering what it means to feel human in the first place. I should stress that I said feel human, not be human. No one's humanity is contingent on their social status, but the way people are treated does inform their self-perception. Grey Worm and Masande were objectified and commodified from early childhood. That shaped the way they saw themselves. It's no coincidence that they're introduced into the show as more as narrative tools than as individuals. They have a few character beats in season three, such as Masande sanitizing Krasny's rude comments as she translates for Daenerys and Grey Worm, explaining why he's chosen to keep his unsullied name. Um, but for the most part, they are what they do. Missande is a translator. She translates. <laughs> Grey Worm is a soldier. He fights. It's not until season four that Grey Worm and Missande begin to develop their relationship and, in doing so, start fleshing out their own internal lives. We get our first hint of a connection when Missande shoots Grey Worm an admonishing glance in <laughs> season four, uh, episode one, Two Swords. Is that when For he sees se- her boobies? Oh, probably. Yeah, because he... he, 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 he Pops his head out of the water, sees, well, sees the glory, yeah. He's like, and, Ooh. Uh, and she covers up and glances, and then he sinks back into the water, de- like def- <laughs> deflated, <laughs> defeated. <laughs> but it's not until episode four, uh, season four, episode six, "The Mountain and the Viper," that they vocalize, albeit laconically, that the first time in their lives they feel desire for someone else. Most telling of all is Grey Worm's use of the word precious, which Jorah taught him. It's never made clear if Grey Worm asked Jorah for a direct translation of a Valerian phrase or if Jorah had to sit through a lengthy description before suggesting precious as an adequate summary. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Either way, Grey Worm, the electric elected general of the infamously disciplined Unsullied Army has sought out a new word to adequately describe what his language lessons with Missande mean to him. Normally, when male characters do this, <laughs> search out new words to describe the, the language lessons given to them by Missande, um, it indicates that they have an unexpected sensitive side, such as because <laughs> it's so common that men have language lessons from Missande. Um, 
such as when Maybe. Michael she's a translator. <laughs> when, she's a Michael, translator. That's true. <laughs> such as when Michael recommends that his cellmate use the word passion instead of love in a letter to his girlfriend in the first episode of Prison Break. However, with Grey Worm, it's a sign of personal growth, an indication of newfound introspection. Possibly Grey Worm and Masende's most significant breakthrough is confessing to each other that they both have fear, now that they have someone to lose. This is such a drastic change for Grey Worm that describes as his weakness, but that's the double-edged sword of the human experience. If you can feel desire and pleasure, that means that you also have the capacity for fear and pain. Admitting this to each other is what finally frees them up to act on their mutual attraction. Remember that scene when he, it's after he was wounded and embarrassed and was killed and she comes to his bedside to, uh, to comfort him and see that he's all right. He admits that he's scared. I felt fear. I would never see Missandei of Noth again. Noth again. Yeah, I do remember that. It's great. (laughs) Setting aside the initial half-joking glee of, oh, hey, they finally figured it out. There's something wonderfully deviant about Grey Worm and Missandei's love scene. I think Alt-Shift-X put it best. Grey Worm and Missandei were both slaves. Their bodies were property, tools for violence and obedience. But here, they defy their former masters by instead using their bodies for love, which is kind of beautiful. First times are typically important to a character's development for obvious reasons, but Masande and Grey Worm's consummation deserves special mention. It signifies how far they've come, both as a couple and as individuals. Their very capacity to feel and share something so intimate flies in the face of everything that their former masters have taught them to be. And considering the uh, dilemma of the pillar and stones, it also Mm -hmm. uh, is a good example of if there's a will, there's a way, you know? Yes. So that's something to, uh, to, you know, inspire. I suspect part of the reason Grey Worm and Missande tend to get less attention from the fandom, SNL apparently forgot they existed for one sketch, is because their arcs are much less flashy than others. Instead, a world in which people, most people seem to swap names, allegiances, and literal faces as often as we change our small clothes, Grey Worm and Masande lead staggeringly uncomplicated lives by comparison. They always speak in quiet voices, their loyalty to Daenerys remains unambiguous, and even though it took them a long time to consummate their relationship, they never fell into the void of the will-they-won't-they trope. For having had among the harshest upbringings of any character on the show... They are both extraordinarily, extraordinarily well-adjusted people. I think that's the point. Whether it was intentional on the part of the writers, I neither know nor care, but Grey Worm and Missandei prove that hardship and even trauma don't have to rob you of the capacity for gentleness, decency, and love. As I said earlier, trauma has become one of the major themes of the show. Grief, abuse, loss of faith, systemic injustice, these are complicated issues that change people and not in a way that's pretty or clean or easy to understand. While it's important to truthfully depict the range of ways that people cope with trauma, and for what it's worth, I think Game of Thrones has made great strides in that department, there's also great value in creating characters we can aspire to emulate. Masande and Grey Worm don't let the horrors of their past rob them of having a future, yet they didn't come into this strength all on their own. While love interests are so often extraneous to a character's arc, Grey Worm and Masande's mutual attraction has been integral to their development. They've helped each other become their best selves. That's one hell of a love story. I liked that article. Yeah, really good. 
And thank you so much to Petra for such a beautiful article. I hope you don't mind. We read most of it, I think, but uh, we just thought it was so great that we wanted people to hear it. Thanks. Johnny Stower says, we meet such cool new characters as in Edmure and Blackfish. Get a little insight of cat backstory growing up. Also, we get the reason Edmure has to marry and the red wedding happens are connected to him going against Rob's orders and taking the stone mill, letting the mountain escape. Good point. First time since the first episode, I think we see a sign down with the horses done by the white walkers at the fist of the first men. Be cool to figure out what the hell that is. <laughs> it, it's uh, the same pattern as we see of these stones, standing stones arranged around yes, the tree. The when spiral. They, yeah, when the uh, the children of the forest create the Night King. So that's pretty cool. Also, that damn dirty rotten Ramsey. He was the guy <laughs> blowing the horn outside Winterfell when Theon was there bitching about it. It was him. <laughs> I know it. It was. It came down to him or kit to play Jon Snow and they picked Kit for that and then they called him back to play Ramsey. What? Well, that is it true? I don't know if that's wow, true. That's wild. They they cast that beautifully. He's uh he's actually a great actor. Um the guy who plays Ramsey. Um Owen something. Ewan Iwin. Ewan Ewan um His Ewan name Rian. is so hard. Ewan Rian. There yeah, you go. He uh he's on a great show with um what's the guy that played Gandalf? Gandalf oh, the Grey. I'm so sorry, Travis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's um, Sir Ian McKellen. So he's on this show with Ian McKellen called Vicious, which is pretty cool. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. You guys should check that out. He's totally different on that. <laughs> Sarah Larkham says, We meet Martin Lannister, who is played by Dean Charles Chapman, who later plays Tommen Lannister in season four. We get to see how weak and pathetic Edmure is as a person. No wonder he's locked up by Lord Frey after he knocked up one of his daughters that he married. <laughs> we also see the strained relationship between the Blackfish and Edmure. It's heartbreaking to see Catelyn talk about, talking about how she waited for her father to come back from war. And comparing how Bran and Rickon waited for her to come home from being with Rob. Mm. So sad. Mm -hmm. Matthew Rep says, even more clues to who Theon's captor really is. When we first saw Theon tied to the big X, like on the Bolton banners, and then the torturer called him a little bastard, I mm. have to say, during my first watch through, both went right over my head. Right, yeah, the the uh, the guy who Ramsey shoots with the arrow says, you little bastard, right before he puts that arrow right through his head. And that was a crazy uh, shot. Like it's, It zooms out and shows us like a big expansive shot of the forest, and Ramsey walks right up to him, cocks the bow right in his face, and shoots the arrow right into his head, and we see the whole thing happen. And what a crazy shot. I agree. I love the whole power play Tywin did at the small council by having all their chairs on the same side. Of course, Littlefinger pushes in to sit right beside him. Cersei bends the rules to her own benefit, and Tyrion boldly takes the other head of the table. <laughs> he also asked, um, he had asked on Facebook that Matthew Rep had, uh, why Lysa Arendon attend her own father's funeral. And I think that this is because she seems to, after she murdered John Aaron, she's sort of fled to the area and is just like locked up there. She's breastfeeding her teenager. Little Robin's like, nobody can harm us here, mommy. <laughs> yeah. So she's just been hiding out, basically refusing to, to supply troops for the war effort or leave at all. Uh, I guess her father's life wasn't important enough. 
Oh, well, she's crazy bitch. Yeah, then again, she could be like, he's dead. He doesn't care. <laughs> um, she's crazy bitch. <laughs> Alicia, Lady Alicia says... Hi, oh, Alicia. Hi. The Hoster Tully funeral scene has to be one of the most humiliating moments. That scene with Edmure, a.k.a. Frank Randall slash Black Jack Randall. By the way, you must watch Outlander. Trying to light that floating pyre was just cringeworthy and pretty much sums up how they all feel about him. Total disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Floppy fish. Totally. <laughs> I love the black, fl black flesh, the black fish. Bummer we won't see much of him until later in the series. He's just so smug and sure of himself. Hilarious how right after he shoots the arrow, he shoves the bow into Edmure's arms and walks away before the arrow even lands on the pyre. Hell Pretty yeah. badass, if you ask me. Hell yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, totally. <laughs> Lucy Robert says, mutterings for the weak. Edmure is useless. The blackfish is not. Love the Bremi bickering at the start of <laughs> Jamie's redemption. The Briami? Briami, is that what we're calling it? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. How would you? I was just thinking of like how Lucy, would that be you pronounced? have to tell us how how you hear it in your head. Yeah, is it Brami or Briami? <laughs> uh, Brienne screams, "Hurt my heart!" And I hate that she can't fight back. But say what you want about Ramsay, but to kill his own men as part of the charade to start Theon's torture—that's committed. <laughs> No words for the final scene. It's just too awful. I yeah. totally agree. I'd have him committed. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, right? He needed to be committed. He needed to be killed. Oh, they needed God. to just see that he was not going to work out. This is one example where bastard blood is tainted. Yes. <laughs> Pam Wireman Sanders says, Ed Muir is a puke. Can't stand I love his... that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't stand his character. In the book or the show, he is full of himself and thinks he can do whatever he wants with no consequences. Love that Rob puts him in his place. Brienne and Jamie, I could watch them on screen all day long. Hate the final scene of this episode. It is 100 times worse knowing what is going to happen and how much struggle the future holds for Jamie. Thus begins the path to redemption for him. Love the scene with Bronn, Pod, and Tyrion after Pod returns from the brothel. <laughs> Pod acts like it's no big deal, which makes the whole scene more hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Lady Pam. Yes, I love her feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some emails next. The first one is from Lady Emily. Sup, Lady K and Sarah Dunk. Sup, Bromiga. <laughs> Bromiga. <laughs> Bromiga. <laughs> I loved this episode, and it was hands down the funniest one so far. I would agree with you on that one, Lady Emily. Totally. It w I, I laughed a lot. I was <laughs> fucking dying in the small council scene. All the characters' individual expressions were hilarious during the chair dragging. Without words, this scene showed that Cersei is a sycophant to her dad. Littlefinger is a power grabber. Varys is reserved. Pycelle does what he's told. It does what it is told. Sorry. It puts lotion on its skin. I <laughs> thought about that, too. Or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> Put the fucking lotion in the basket! <laughs> <laughs> and Tyrion wants his father to respect him. I lost it with Hot Pie said Winter Hell. Oh, I we lost, forgot to mention I that. I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> 
It's winter fell. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you Did sure you about that? that? She's like, I fucking grew up there, dude. You know who I am. <laughs> I lost it again at Don't Get Stabbed. Anyone else think Hot Pie's direwolf bread looks like it would break your teeth? Yes, it looks like it needed to be oh dipped in some God. coffee. Welcome to the House of Pain, ladies, where pain is pleasure. <laughs> jump around. I came to get down. I came to get down. So get out your seat and jump around. Jump around. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Uh, or awesome. I know the following scene where tripod hands Tyrion <laughs> money back is just more comic relief. But I'm going to entertain the realism of this. Think about it. Pod is a giver. Oh my gosh, she's about to say the same thing I just said. His job <laughs> has true. been serving Tyrion and making him happy 24-7. He's well practiced in pleasing Tyrion, especially when it comes to discovering what he likes and doing what he wants. Except now it's not Tyrion, it's three hot women. Combine selfless Pod with the fact that these whores are used to fucking old men, <laughs> ugly men, creepy men, and sometimes the customer is all three. They usually don't get customers that they want to fuck. <laughs> fucking someone you don't want to fuck eight to five every day isn't enjoyable. It'd be a chore. <laughs> Clearly, fucking oh, pod man. was no chore for them. Furthermore, their customers probably focused on getting themselves off without a thought to please her. Young, handsome men probably aren't their average customers. And even if they do get one of those, he may not be a selfless giver like Pod. <laughs> and the best way to get Pod to come back is not to charge him. In conclusion, this is 100% realistic. <laughs> awesome. This oh, episode man. definitely had its tragic moments. Catelyn is losing everyone. Edmure fucked up in a battle and lost over 200 men. <laughs> Hot Pie departs. Gilly has a baby boy. Danny walks along the suffering Astapori slaves. Brienne almost being gang raped. Jamie losing his sword hand. It's great to see this episode at so many funny, lighthearted moments to balance it out. Otherwise, this episode would be tragic as fuck. <laughs> as always, thank you both for everything you do to give us this podcast. You're amazing, Lady Emily. You're amazing, Lady Emily. I loved this email. What's funny is that the none of the tragic moments included Beyond almost getting gang raped. That's how little we care about him right now. <laughs> oh, man. So true. Thanks, Lady Emily. Our next email is from Lady Hannah of House Kindler. Hey, Kristen and Duncan. Great episode, great show, and great podcast. Thanks, Thank Lady Hannah. Even though I'm not able to watch the episode every week, you make me remember every scene when I listen to you. Keep it up. Awesome. That's what I try to do, is sort of like set the scene a little bit for you. So thanks for noticing. Um, she continues <laughs> to say for noticing somebody <laughs> noticed yeah <laughs> she continues have you noticed the beautiful music in all of the episodes i uh, have yeah. bear mccurry is oh it's not bear mccurry it's uh ramin no. javadi is amazing go. absolutely i think he went to berkeley too uh, which is the school i went to for music so i definitely do notice the music she says, well, you can tell my boyfriend Flo that we're going to listen to that even more in the future. Hell yeah. Pay attention to the great music. Happy birthday and see you in May for Game of Thrones live in concert. It's going to be fun. Greetings from Hamburg, Germany. Lady Hannah. Is it her boyfriend Flo's birthday? I, I, I'm wondering. We'll have to it's find not, out. It wasn't your birthday, right? No, my birthday's in August. Okay, I was going to say it's in August, but I didn't want to be a douche. Okay, <laughs> I knew it was in August. I feel good about that. <laughs> yeah, tell us whose birthday it is. We can give him a nice happy birthday wish, too. 
And man, you're going to see Game of Thrones live in concert. That will be awesome. Hopefully you enjoy that. It's going to be really good. I haven't seen it yet. I want to, though. Yes, I want to see that, too. I want to see that so bad. It's never near where I live, but that's okay. <laughs> the next one is from Lady Rachel of House Fox. Hey, Rachel. Hey. Hello, Sarah Duncan and Lady Kristen. Hope is all is well with you both. I am officially caught up on Game of Microphones' current episodes. Yeah! Nice. So without further ado, here are my thoughts for Walk of Punishment. Uh, being that the episode is called Walk of Punishment, I focus on the theme of punishment and reward. Nice. Nice. So here are a few of her musings. Rob Stark schools Edmure Tully, who is a flaccid gomer. <laughs> <laughs> like gomer pile. <laughs> <laughs> on oh, his behaviors great. of taking the mill instead of drawing the mountain out into the west. I love how Rob punishes him like he is a child. It's not about glory. Yeah, that's good, too. Forgot about that. It was a sad scene where we see Kat so vulnerable when speaking to her uncle. The Blackfish, sidebar, do we know why he's called Blackfish? Yes, just listen before. In previous ramblings that I have contributed to Raven's Calls, I brought up the silent pain and strength of a mother. I feel Kat is showing this notion during the scene. She feels as if she's punishing Bran and Rickon because she knows that they are waiting for her the way that she waited for her father. Blackfish then tells her that she needs to remain strong for Rob. This is also a mother's strength, the need to put aside her own guilt and grief to remain strong in the face of her children, a strength that only a mother's can relate to, and one of the hardest parts of parenthood. Oh, girlfriend, I agree, I agree, I agree. Mm -hmm. Stannis feels that Melisandre is abandoning him, which to him could be viewed as a form of punishment. Your fires burn low, my king, as said by Melisandre, can foreshadow the demise of Stannis later in the series. She also says, but first there must be sacrifices, which also foreshadows the burning of Stannis' daughter. I hate every I hate every second of that episode, that part too. But the only part about that episode that's awesome is that the last half of that particular episode is rad. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> uh, with punishment being an artery that runs through this episode, it's natural theme that reward would appear. When Danny takes Masunde as a gift of a bargain well struck, I felt she was rewarding Masunde for her intelligent translation of Valerian. Absolutely. She realizes in this moment that not only was she freeing a slave, she was gaining a valuable woman to heed her counsel. Mm -hmm. I loved it when Danny said, yes, <laughs> all men must die, but we are not men. It shows who she is as a woman grown at this point in the series. I agree. The final scene in the episode hints at both the themes of reward and punishment. Jamie bribes Locke with a possible reward of sap sapphires if Brienne is returned if Brienne is returned with her virtue intact. That's the other thing we didn't talk about is he said her honor unbesmirched, which unbesmirched. I fucking love that line. That's such a cool yeah, word. He lost his hand <laughs> using that word. Yeah, it was worth it. Jamie is so confident that he can he can hide behind his father's name. He's constantly using this as leverage and finally comes up against Locke, who really doesn't give a fuck. So, in typical grim fashion, Jamie's hand is cut off as punishment for his confidence. A classic move of Grimm, killing a character without actually killing him. Yeah. Oh, what a great sentence. Yeah. From this day forth, Jamie will never be the same knight he was, and this act completely transforms his character. Love it. 
Well, that's it for now, my friends. Feel free to pick and choose my themes of punishment and rewards <laughs> if you want, as I know this is long-winded. <laughs> I hope, as always, you find this strikes conversation during Raven's Calls. Your humble servant, Lady Rachel of House Fox, Queen of the East, East Bay by the Sea, Khaleesi of Dublin, California, Protector of her realm, Breaker of wine glasses, <laughs> Mother of a toddler, Changer of endless diapers, the tired, the controller of chaos, the chaser of chickens, and the master of schedules. Titles, titles, titles. <laughs> oh, awesome. Rachel, I love you. Thanks, Rachel. Always got some good feedback from her. And next, we have an email from Lord Tom of the Misty Moor. Sir Duncan and Lady Kristen, well met. Well thanks, met. Thanks for reading out my last email last week and for plugging my Etsy shop. Yeah, check out Lord Tom. Tom Moore on Etsy. He's a fantastic artist. You guys will love his stuff. Star Wars stuff, Game of Thrones stuff. We'll, uh, I actually posted a picture um, of some stuff he sent us last week, but definitely check Which it out. Fantastic. Search for him. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Tom has inter- added uh, international postage, I think, now, too, so we can ship to the U.S. and New Zealand and pretty much anywhere. So definitely take advantage of that. He continues... I like this episode. It contains as much cruelty as it does humor. A perfect balance of the force. <laughs> we meet Edmure and Blackfish and the Blackfish. What a funny scene for a funeral. I love how the Blackfish puts his nephew in his place. Seriously though, a bowman like the Blackfish would be such a valuable res- valuable resource. He knows that arrow is going to hit its mark without even looking. Yeah, it's really impressive. Here comes another recommendation for a British TV series. Clive Russell, who plays the Blackfish, and Paul Kay, who plays Thoros of Mir, have parts in the, show, in the same show starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost called Spaced. Wow, that sounds crazy. What a cast. Again, only two seasons, but if you like the movies Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, you'll love it. Shaun of the Dead is one of my all-time favorite movies. Great movie. Have you seen that, Kristen? I have. I was um, not not as enthusiastic. Sober mind the oh. first time I saw it. I I was quite stoned the first time I saw it, and so I didn't really remember it. So That's I funny. didn't think that I liked it as a result. And then a couple years ago, my husband's like, "I think you need to see the show again." So we watched it again, and I actually really enjoyed You're it. Like, so what? yes, I do like what that movie. What movie did I watch before? That's so funny. I, I, it was all new to me. I'm not gonna lie. I was That's like, hilarious. "Whoa, this is a great movie." <laughs> Okay, back to Game of Thrones. When Rob yells, "It's not about glory," to Edmure, it reminded me of the Talisa and of Talisa and Rob's previous conversation about Ned in season two, episode eight, "The Prince of Winterfell." Talisa, I wish I could have met him. Rob, he would have liked you. Talisa, most lords worry more about their golden glory than the charwoman scrubbing their floors. Rob, he didn't care much about gold or glory. Talisa, and you. That was a cool conversation. I, the charwoman thing sticks out to me. I thought that was a funny mm-hmm. word. <laughs> Rob is trying so hard to lead and win this war, but I think he's really lost his vision and command. I'm not sure many of his followers see him as the authority figure they once did, with even his close family members undermining him. Catelyn freeing his most valuable prisoner, Jamie, and Edmure attacking Sir Gregor without orders from Rob. The Starks are sinking further into the mud. The selection to the small council seats is so telling. I love the way it all plays out. Baelish rushing ahead of the others to take the seat next to Tywin, all the while doing his deep voice. 
Very is only getting second place because he's faster than Pycel, or faster than Pycel wants to let people think he is. Right, totally. <laughs> so funny. Cersei, rather than be outdone, moves her seat. Finally, Tyrion places himself as far away as possible from his pa- from his father, just like you said, and his sister, and makes a great deal of noise about it. This is a power play in a different way, though, taking up the seat at the other end of the table. I wonder what their Christmas dinner would be like. Yeah, he's like balancing out the power by, you know, prominently seating himself at the other end and waiting out the other end of the table. Really, in reality, Tyrion is the only one that can really get away with doing something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> you see, you can see overt signs of Varys and Tyrion's trust here. Varys nodding in agreement with Tyrion about the cost of the royal wedding. He also seems to be the only one not amused by Tyrion's appointment to the Master of Coin position. Does anyone else think they did an awesome job casting Genry? Gendry? I mean, I think he really looks like Robert. In his eyes and his jaw, I think. I imagine that's just how Robert looked as a young man. I love his line, don't burn your fingers to hot pie. Don't burn, <laughs> don't your, burn fingers your fingers to hot pie. <laughs> the last time the hound was at this inn, he killed the butcher's boy. Joffrey was savaged by Nymeria, and Arya sent her away. Now she's got bread. Now she's got a bread wolf instead. That's something we didn't mention either. Arya had said to the Hound, "Do you remember the last time you were at this inn? You know, looks like, like any other shit in on the road." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice young Martin Lannister is played by Dean Charles Chapman, who later plays Tommen? We did. White Walker symbols. What do they mean? We need a podcast on this, please. <laughs> dead horses. 300 new dead men in the Night's King army. And that's something else that I forgot to mention that I wanted to. When Mance says that we're, they're all just meat for the Night King's army, this is important for John's development, too, in his uh, philosophy, as he repeatedly states later on that they need to help the wildlings bring them in because if they don't, they're just fodder for the army they're just going right. to increase the army so this line by mance plays a real important part for uh, john realizing the reality of the situation of really why exactly this is such a big deal yeah for, exactly. it's in everybody's best interest don't yeah. just let them die because if you let them die they become part of the of, of the, of the enemy problem force. of the yeah. enemy yeah it's a really important part so yeah thanks for mentioning that Back at Craster's Keep, Gilly is having her baby. Craster believes the White Walkers are gods. The baby boy is born. We see his little penis. Cut to Theon, who will lose his penis very soon. His foot is injured and he can barely stand. It reminded me of this quote from the books. Krakens, strong as long as they're in the sea. When you take them out of the water, no bones. They collapse under their proud weight and slump into a heap of nothing. Ramsey Snow. Wow, that's a really good uh, book comparison. Great job, Lord Tom. That's a really good pull. Kind of what Yara was saying to Theon. Don't die so far from the sea, little brother. Wow. Damn, you're on point, dude. Stannis is really is bewitched by Melisandre. She looks at him pitifully. Burn. <laughs> Jorah has the best lines in the episode. There's a beast in every man, and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. Rhaegar fought valiantly, Rhaegar fought bravely, and Rhaegar died. Perhaps Rhaegar could learn a thing or two from Bronn. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You don't fight with honor. Yeah, nope. he did. He did. <laughs> yes. I can never hear like that scene brought up too many times. It's awesome. Never gets old. 
Daenerys offers Missandei her chance to leave, and she refuses. This is where we first learn the meaning of Valar Morghulis. Oh, that's true. That is true. Good catch. Baelish seeking out what he can hold over Tyrion. We know it's Shay, but does he? Tyrion gives Pod his reward. Oh, his magic cock. We need details. Copious details. <laughs> <laughs> and now, the start of Theon's torture for real. Which woods are these, do we think? Do you hear Ramsay gives the Stark, or Theon the Stark words as he helps him up? You're a long way from home and winter is coming. Testing his loyalty to the northern cause? Let the psychological games begin. Jamie loses his hand. Sucks to be you, bro! <laughs> <laughs> Until next we meet, good sir, good lady. Keep the glass candles burning. Lord Tom of the Misty Moor. XX. Thank you, Lord Tom. Yes, sir. Always good to hear from you. Very good to hear from you. And yes, glass candles are burning strong, and I only, you know, cut cut off half of one of my fingers in the process of lighting it. So that's pretty good. (laughs) Our next email is from Sir Brian of House Minier. Duncan and Kristen, love your podcast. I fell behind, but I'm on the latest episode since I've been binging the books via Audible app. Duncan, I emailed you back and forth about first book availability and whatnot before Christmas. Pleased to say I just finished A Dance of Dragons. Awesome dude, good for you. First off, Storm of Swords was incredible, but Dance of Dragons was riveting front to back. I agree. Even though the show gets a ton of shit, I have a new respect for the double Ds cramming all the storylines together despite its differences from the books. There's so much to talk about, but I feel like I've talked too much. Stannis was a badass. The drums and Davos saying, let's sing back or whatever, gives me chills every time. Just finished Blackwater podcast, lol. I love the both of you and how in-depth you guys get. It's fitting since it's an in-depth show. Love the music. Also, check out Myths and Monsters on Netflix. It goes into Joseph Campbell's book with archetypes and gets better from there. Brian Minier. Thanks for writing, Brian. Glad you've uh, been enjoying the books. That's freaking awesome. Greetings from Archmaester Rennie of the Citadel, wielder of the Valyrian steel pen Hearts Inc., <laughs> sending my voice to you from Winter Hell. <laughs> hey, did you know that you can get bread made in shapes a lot like the one Hot Pie gives Arya at Bodine's Bakery in San Francisco? What? So, I really enjoyed your discussion of Lady Olena last week. Thanks. You know the hounds line to Sansa, your father was a killer, etc. I can imagine mm-hmm. Lady Olena saying to Sansa, your father was an idiot, your brother is an idiot, your husband will be an idiot, your sons will be idiots. Yes. But don't just put up <laughs> with it. Take over. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Best line of the episode from the Blackfish. Even in war's darkest days, in most places in the world, absolutely nothing is happening. Me too. I wrote that One down. One last note on nice. the commentary track by Benioff Benny and Weiss. They say that Ewan Rion, who plays Ramsay Snow, originally auditioned for Jon Snow. Wow, so it's and true. it came down to being between him and Kit Harington. Hard to imagine him as Jon Snow after seeing him as Ramsay. Wow. Keep up the good podcasts. If you watch Vicious, you'll get to see an entirely different side of this actor, which will I hope so. make it more uh, like make it make more sense. Um, so that is really funny. Wow! Thanks, Archmaester Rennie. Always great to hear from you. Hello, this is Sir Johnny of House Stitches, and I thought I would uh, come to you 
my sigil, you know, bears the red luminescent stitched man. And I just want to say that you guys are doing an amazing job. Uh, the excitement at, that this the show has been bringing back to Game of Thrones for me is just beyond what words can say. I think I find myself constantly going back after listening to you guys and rewatching the rewatch. Like, oh, I missed <laughs> that part. Let me. Oh, I see what they're saying. Cool. So again, it's just amazing commentary. Um, I just can't I can't recommend it enough to everybody. But um yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I just wanted to call in and thank you guys for you know Aww. working so hard and the amount of research and theories and everything you guys throw into this on top of all of the the other feedback from other listeners has just been really entertaining, gets me through my week and uh can't wait to hear the next installment. I'm ready to uh blow season three wide open. Yeah, Talk man. Talk to you guys later. All right. Johnny Stitches. That was awesome. That's my Thank boy you. right there. Yeah. Thanks for, for calling, Johnny. It's killer. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Johnny Stitches is the creator of a band and podcast. It was a, a metal band called Sirenicide, and they transitioned into being a podcast called Sirenicide, which is a serial drama, a serial horror drama. And... Highly recommend it. It's really cool. Um, you guys would probably like it. It starts out with a guy who wakes up and he has these anomalous scars all over his chest. And he, he starts to investigate to figure out what the hell happened to him, basically. And starts tracking down these leads and it unravels this big, big mystery with all these dark forces. And it's wild. But something really cool about this is that I have been cast on this show. Yay! Yeah, so this is the official announcement that I will be appearing on season three of Sirenicide airing this year. Soon, in fact, and I would like to debut the trailer for you now. Sirenicide season three, Tales from the Tide, featuring K.D. Burr of Southern Grimoire. Jimmy was right about this guy. He was easy to find and very simple to capture. Duncan McPherson of Game of Microphones. Evil has reigned unchecked in this city for far too long. And returning No Sleep Podcast favorites, Jessica McAvoy. Let's go up to my suite now, dear. These games are boring me. I want to have some fun. Atticus Jackson. The whole world will be watching us now. And Cancer Incorporated is not going to be happy. And debuting from the No Sleep Podcast, Marcus Demanda. Look at yourself. Worthless. Lena was far too good for you. Also featuring Kevin Crow. Come on, sugar. Daddy is on a roll. Kenneth Bryant. Morston, Texas, and its surrounding areas were devastated by three Category 5 hurricanes. Christina Nichols. Because you think the Dark Elite would do anything different? That they don't already have the next puppet ready to take the stage? And returning season regulars, Eddie Vile. Don't play dumb with me, Johnny. Our scarred ones have been dying off here and there since he came back. Molly Needles. He wants the Dark Elite and anyone else trying to champion Matthew's cause to know he's dead. Harper Powers. Matt, it's only getting worse. Where are you? 
I can't do this alone. Johnny Stitches. We just can't keep converting everyone that creeps their way into this place. And featuring special guest John Grills as Doc. For it's all about to begin. Make sure that you bend seasons one and two and all the mini episodes on your favorite podcast platform or at sirenaside.com. Definitely go back and start from the beginning of Sirenicide. You guys will dig it. It's really, really great, cool. I love it. Great, great job. Congratulations <laughs> on that. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, you gotta you gotta listen. It's really cool. It's it's a lot of fun. If I um, ever stir up the courage, I will do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Horror horror and I have a mixed bag. Oh yeah? Yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm good with horror and then I'm totally not good with horror, like all at the same time. So <laughs> it's awesome. It's really, really like well written and just like soundscapes that they create are so cool. And yeah, I can't I can't recommend it enough. Aside from being on it, before I was invited to be on it, I was a listener, so I really enjoy it. So it's an it. honor to be a part of the project. So thanks, Johnny, and thanks for calling in. And everybody check out Sirenicide. Yes. So if the long night is only going to ask is only going to last for six episodes, six one-hour episodes, that's not a very long night. Then again, the Age of Ultron only lasts for about two hours, so I don't know. You know, guys, as much as I often end up disagreeing with Kristen, she brings up some amazing points, and I really appreciate everything she's saying about Joffrey. This rewatch has been actually the first time that I've started to have moments where I pity him too. Uh, I just want to say though, like in case I haven't made myself perfectly clear, Marjorie is not a major force for good, not on par with Ned, not even really like she is chaotic neutral at best. <laughs> like she seems okay, she seems like a major force for good right now at this point in the season because of the juxtaposition relatively to everybody that's around her, she seems like a force for good. She seems like a force for better. But, you know, they're not lions, they're not wolves, they're not krakens. They're growing strong. And their game is to slowly just wrap their vines around everything and completely just grow over the lattice. They're not climbing the ladder, they're climbing the lattice because they're flowers. Poison ivy. Growing strong. Of course, Talissa thinks that the Northerners are all a bunch of grim-bearded, speaking barbarians because her impression of the Northerners is from her fight with Robert Barbarian. I mean, Baratheon. Same difference, right? Because she's Rhaegar. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Everybody's Rhaegar to that dude. I love it. <laughs> um, so funny, man. Yeah. Classic. Guys, Jamie loses his hand because that hand pushed Bran out the window. That is his redemption arc right there. It's only getting his hand chopped off that causes him to essentially kill the boy, become the man in, in his way. 
it's the parallel with Luke Skywalker losing his hand oh. before that he's rushing off to you know for excitement and adventure but a Jedi craves not these things so he loses his hand and then he becomes tired of fighting he's more ready to grow up and I, I, it's interesting because yeah the, the whole thing with the bridge he's trying to make force Brienne to make tough choices because it's his way of being like it's not so easy being honorable you know there's always this moral relativism everywhere you know do I do this do I do that and it's interesting because the common you know the uh, the metaphor that people will often use for having two choices or even just when like weighing things out for themselves is you know on one hand this but on the other hand that and it's interesting just the way you know I, I didn't notice this but as you guys mentioned it when he gets the sword from Brienne he's kind of just uh, passing it back and forth between his two hands and uh, yeah he is uh, I mean yeah he's he's a Zora High he's the last hero but I'll get into that <laughs> at a later date but yeah I just wanted to shut out my two cents with the whole hand thing I but definitely good points he he he, that's the struggle that uh, I mentioned earlier. He's been put in all these positions where he has to make really tough choices. And, uh, yeah, I think that that pretty much nails it. He was putting Brienne in that same position so that to force her to see what it's like, pretty much. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree that, you know, somebody who's as green as Brienne needs to be put into that forced way of thinking. Absolutely. Before that's she a, can understand really... and relate to him, for sure. Well, Especially when you think about what is the definition of honor. Yeah. Is it, you know, I think honor can be a very uh, tricky thing to navigate when you're put in different situations that can test your honor and which uh, and and what you ultimately think is honorable. So I think that that was really good. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Sir Patrick. Thanks for calling in. Mm -hmm. And I think he recorded a, a little like mini bonus episode for us about a topic. So stay tuned for that pretty soon. All right, that's our show, everybody. Episode 65. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Yay, 65. <laughs> 65, 65. Next episode, we'll be covering season three, episode four. And woo, now his woo, watch woo, has woo. ended. <laughs> that is a crazy episode. Can't wait. Can't yeah, wait. Can't wait. So, so good. So uh, give give that a watch and uh, leave us your thoughts. You know, we'd love to read them on air. Yes, we love your feedback. <laughs> I like it when you say funny things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you would like to call, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. And if you're not happy with the voice quality from Google Voice, which is where we get those messages, you can always record us a message on your, on your phone with the, the memo app or whatever and email it to us. Do that. Yeah, high quality. If you'd like to write in, you can email us. That's right, at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Ah. <laughs> ah. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M podcast, where you can also leave your feedback. <laughs> 
Yeah, give us a like on Facebook, too, if you get a chance. We'd really appreciate it. And an iTunes rating and review always helps out. I think that the more you guys boost us with ratings on iTunes, the, the closer to the front of the list we'll appear for podcasts, I think. So give it Our a try. Our goal <laughs> is to be in total Game of Thrones domination by the beginning of Season 8, and yeah. only you will get us there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to uh, take the podcast throne. Of <laughs> yeah, we'll yes, we will win the Game of Microsoft. Definitely, we will definitely all right that's our show thank you for listening if you had armed me they never would have taken us you were armed when we were taken. I was in chains, if you recall. Our little match would have ended quite quick if my hands weren't bound. All my life I've been hearing, Jamie Lannister, what a brilliant swordsman. You were slower than I expected, and more predictable. I've been sitting in a muddy pen wrapped in chains for the past year. And I'm a woman. I was still beating you. God, I hate him. I thought that was a great line, though. I love him. I love him so much. Yeah. I hate him. I hate him. I love him. <laughs> I hate him, but I love him so much. Ah. It's great. Yep, that's it. Just little finger. We have both fishes, black and floppy. And I'm a woman. <laughs> oh, Duncan. Duncan, you win. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> Sorry. That was fantastic um <laughs> victory is so, mine the the funny thing too is he drags a chair like all the way around <laughs> squeaking the whole time <laughs> yeah. and then he hops up onto it and <laughs> squeaks it one more little time <laughs> that one <laughs> that one little extra squeak is like what makes it i you've nothing to fear my husband doesn't eat children unless it's a full moon <laughs> it's not a full moon tonight is it See, nothing to fear. He's lost it, this patience for the artistic, you know, um, uh, artistic... Displays? Ways, sure. That, uh, <laughs> that he, the artistic... Um, Presentations? Oh, shoot, I just almost had it. Murders? Whatever. <laughs> oh, God, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Who cares? It, it's basically the artistic blank that he has taken... Artistic, um, uh, uh, I know what you're talking about now. I know, what's the word? Artistic, um, we gotta figure this out before Direction? we move on. No, it's not the one. Artistic, um, license. Yes! Oh, I love you. Yes. Okay, so the artistic, <laughs> the artistic license that he has taken. <laughs> Gendry says if he, you know, he could, he, whatever, there, but it's because he's gay, right? Oh, is it? So let's see. What else we got here? Uh, poor Theon. Um, kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs>
tough competition for Peter Baelish to go against. Sovereign, de- uh, sovereign, tough competition. Tough, tough competition <laughs> for Peter Baelish to go against Davos Seaworth. She's sort of fled to the area and is just like locked up there. She's breastfeeding her teenager. Little Robin's like nobody can harm us here, mommy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the black fl- black flesh, the black fish. This is one example where bastard blood is tainted. Yes. <laughs> yeah, tell us whose birthday it is. We can give him a nice happy wish, happy birthday wish too. Okay, so I don't have. Yes, I want to see that too. I want to see that so bad. It's never near where I live, but that's okay. Read the first one with Flaccid Gomer for sure. Yes, I will for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're also on Twitter. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you just totally had a giggle face. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> All right, that's our show.